What are you trying to say? Anybody can miss a shot. Nobody misses when I'm at the end of the rope. You never had a rope around your neck. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When that rope starts to pull tight, you can feel the devil fight your ass. Yeah, you're right. It's getting tougher. The way I figure, there's really not too much future with a sawed-off front like you. What do you mean? Because I don't think you'll ever be worth more than $3,000. What do you mean? I mean, our partnership is untied. Oh, no. Wait. Not you. You remain tied. I'll keep the money and you can have the rope. You filthy double-crossing bastard! Of all the stinking dirty tricks. Way back to town is only 70 miles. Do you expect me to talk? Welcome to episode 231 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca, and this time locked in a deadly Mexican standoff with my co-hosts Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. How are you guys? Right, so does that mean we're all going to shoot at each other or we're all going to shoot all over Be- No, that can't <laughs> <laughs> Hold that no. thought. Good evening, folks. I'm just wondering, like, out of us, who's the good, the bad and the ugly? Well, I won't go into that, because also joining us for... This series There's is a rogue our, fourth member. <laughs> the rogue fourth member, Charlie Brickton. How are you? Uh, I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I can apply those to all of you, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, what I mean is the fourth one. one the, uh, the... You are the handsome. <laughs> we'll just yes. the new one. Just, you're you're Lee Van Cleef in the last film. <laughs> Here, here he's a villain and now he's very much to be honest by... I wouldn't argue about being any of them it's not like the good is fantastic and incredibly good looking and the ugly is literally like fucking disgusting or anything <laughs> yeah because no, no. it's a bit harsh to say that Eli Wallach is ugly and no he's quite handsome really but I just want to also say it to you guys and to and to our listeners thank you so much for waiting because we've not recorded since January obviously life gets in the way and then I was on holiday um, but we're you know getting back in the saddle and getting ready to ride back into town as we, we continue on our journey, uh, all the westerns. I, 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 I like the... your puns there, Becca. We're, get, we're trying to. Re- we're recording on the twenty fifth. I'll try and get this. If Chris can get the notes done, I'll try and get this out by. I won't. Re- I won't be edit it for a couple of days, but I'll try and get it out within the calendar month of February, just for the sake of not making people miss a complete month. No, so we've got a week best. left. So no, but I can hand my, hold my hand up and say, you know, I apologise for that, just because I was. I, I didn't. Well, I went away for a couple of days, but I've had this week off. Um. So, I mean yeah. that is some that is some epic like attempting to shift blame onto yourself. We haven't recorded in <laughs> eight weeks, and and because I've been away for a couple of days, how, do, <laughs> how does that suddenly become? Sorry about that, everybody, but I've taken some time off. Yeah, two no, I days. Was, I, was, I was sick pretty much from Christmas to to uh, early February. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we've all had the lurgy game, and haven't we? Like, we've had cold and one thing another, and bronchitis, and we've all just been full of lurg. Um, there's a lot of lure going around, so it's not very nice yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah, so if one thing or other, life gets in the way. Um, new jobs, lurgy, holiday time. Um, 
you know, trying to, obviously trying to get, um, obviously new tax year is incoming. You've got to use up holiday. And I, I think I, I would have rather have been off next week. Um, but they said, oh, no, you can't do it. Too many people off. You've got to take this week. I said, and I was like, thanks. So that's what I was doing. And yeah, she's been off with Lurg and yeah, it's all just been chaotic. But hello, we are back now. We'll try to be back in your earballs with some sense of, you know, some semblance of normality and try to hit a, a regular I think, we're past, I think we're past promising every week, but we do try yeah, to oh, promise regular. So, you know, it. it'll the next one will be soon, probably. I got um I got back listening to Hitchpod, um, which is a fantastic Australian podcast dedicated to the Hitchcock movies. I think they're on the season two or three now. And they're like, well, we, we record every month or so. You know, they're quite obviously both both hosts, Kat and Dan, they have like their own podcast mainly around cricket, um, big cricket fans. Um, but they're like, oh, yeah, we, we do this podcast every month or so. It's, it's quite loose, you know, and they try to do lots on the side. So maybe we can take a leaf out of it. It's leaf just the fact we, we had three long gaps for various reasons. I think I think somewhere around when I got married, I think you were sick just after. And then we had a gap uh, into yeah. last year. And then we've just had one. And uh, to cut a long story short, since we started as a podcast, we've averaged probably it probably it's probably about 30 episodes a year now. But it used to be 40 odd. And I think in in a calendar year to a couple of months ago, we've done something like 13 episodes. So, yeah, we will try and build up from that because that, that isn't quite good enough. But you. there'll always be gaps. There'll always I be gaps. I apologise. I think the problem is that I used to, and again, I think it's a function of age and experience. Ooh. I used to get frustrated because, like, um, now playing was such a, an influence. And they've never missed, like, a, a, shed, they, a scheduled date. They scheduled, they, like, yeah, they turned it out, didn't they? And I used to just go, well, if they can do it and we're doing less than them, why can't we? And I just find the more frustrated you get about it, the more you piss each other off about it, and we wouldn't still be here. And the 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 the, the wise thing to think about it is it's a hobby. No one's paying anything to us for it. We do it as a hobby. If we're available to do it, we'll do it. If we're not, we won't. But we do honestly recognise that we had a gap just before Christmas and we've had a gap just after, and neither of those are what we want to do routinely. Mm. But if we're sick, we're not going to give each other a hard time over it. No, yeah, if we're yeah. poorly and obviously we can't speak on whatever, then we don't, you know, we're not going to force ourselves because nobody wants to hear that. <clears throat> and if Chris is out need... knocking women up, that's his business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chris is a little girl, so, you know. Chris is I... a little girl. Oh, Chris yeah, I was going to say. He finds a way. going to say, like, you have to insult me back. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Sorry, that's not how I meant it. Chris is a little girl. Chris is a little girl. No. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why we've been busy. And so I think we'll agree, none of it my fault. No, Dave, you're scot-free. You are the innocent one. It's okay. Um, though on, on any given week, we, there have been times we have been about to record and I've cried off. So on a given week, it's been me. I've been I've been a week or so of the delays here and there. So, yeah, we're back today. And for anyone who's completely forgotten, because our last two have been what we laughingly call the sort of non-canning releases, the non-numbered releases. We don't, if we do one for charity, we do one for Patreon, which we stopped pushing really, or we do one for Christmas, we don't uh, number it. Uh, the Bond commentaries, we don't number. So the numbered ones are where we get, where we go chronologically through a director or a series of films. Um, and so the last numbered one we did was some time ago now. I'm just going to have a look back to see when it was published. Um, it was before December. Christmas. Well, yeah, because we did two. Mm. We did we did one in January, um, which we recorded just before. Then we did the Christmas commentary. Yeah, December the twelfth, we published mm. uh, for a few dollars more. So yeah, that's a couple of months. That's two and a half months ago now. So what are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight, 
we are reaching the end of the Dollars Trilogy, Mammy No Name Trilogy. Anyway, the epic Sergio Leone Dollars Trilogy. The good, the bad and the ugly. Which I'm very excited about because I had never seen it until now. <laughs> so yes, tonight we are reviewing The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, starring Clint Eastwood, Eve Cleef, Eli Wallach, and that's all you need to know. Original score by Ennio Morricone, story by a load of names that I'm about to make up, so I do apologise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just a bunch of Europeans, or you know, just... <laughs> this is it. John Novin... John it's Enrico Palazzo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, directed by Sergio Leone, obviously, and released <laughs> in 1966. Chris Waddle. <laughs> I can only apologise. I'm one of these people who does mangle foreign names. It's quite amusing. I used to work in financial services, um, and we deal with, I think, Swedish, German, Icelandic. That was a mouthful. Um, and also, you saw some brokers and IFAs from various African countries. Um, and I did, even with my German A-level, I didn't have to mangle some of those names. So I can only apologize i don't mean any offense or anything like that i do i do try my best I mean, as, um, as someone who has a, a slightly like odd spelling of a surname i do get it even i get it mispronounced all the time so uh yeah so I, it, it, it just it just happens sorry yeah, i think your, your surname is quite easy to pronounce though it's obviously burn it it is but then some people don't always like, understand like what, what what's this why shit mean that's true <laughs> so that's... then Luciano Vincenzoni is quite a long name but then I've got a long yeah. name um, I mean I, I... If, we have, if we ever do any um, Japanese classics I'm sure I'll mangle it. The, the... I, yeah I, I can only apologise I don't mean any offence by it I'm trying my best oh no just um, um, I'm just a so excuse me I won't worry about it I think a lot of people sort of don't um, uh, they they underestimate the, the 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 logic of how the spelling of how Irish do things. <laughs> look at look, you look at like any sp- Irish names you're like Jesus, Christ, how how the hell do I pronounce this? Well, uh, that's true, yeah, definitely, especially if you're using like the old Gaelic language as well. So yeah. Anyway, mm. yes, that was me mangling the Italian cast and crew of this film. So if you mang- if you've mangled who's in it so far, then I yes, yeah, so I've mangled pretty much everybody apart from Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, Eli Wallow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, with all due respect, though, like they're the only they're the only three that you know really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they're the only people that anyone's going to know. Like that's the, that's a point to be made. I mean, not not just the um, name recognition to this generation of or these generations. There's a few different generations on the earth at the moment, but of the generations that have been around since this film. Um, I'm not quite, I'm not commenting on the quality of, of the actors, but I'm not even talking about name recognition. I'm talking about characters. I'm talking about the fact that, that there was a recognisable lead villain in both of the first two uh, dollars films. And I would say it's less so the case here. It's more shades of grey between. And it is part of that whole um, circle of I mean, we're coming to it in the superhero genre at the moment now that we're almost reaching the parody stage. And it sort of comes after that deconstruction phase, and, and we're we're right in that at the moment. You know, we've had the lantern jaw westerns heroes, and now we've got basically the good, the bad, and the ugly is almost a almost a parody name in itself. I don't know yeah, if it's it ever, I don't know if it was coming sort, out the other end now. None, none, none of those people are exclusively any of one of those three things. Yeah, that's and it. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, especially um, it's like the Avengers more... character. You'll see this is because this film is kind of like a prequel almost. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and obviously plays a different character <laughs> you know but he's you know he's, he's always going to be like the archetypal screen villain but it's all about their relationships to each other 
whereas Precisely. before it was all about their relationship to well two different characters from the same guy so um they're they're full-on deconstructing the, the western here much as they, he will in his next entry and the one we do in a few weeks time um I think that's so, that's, that, yeah. that's the film's genius, though, isn't it? I think that's probably why. I mean, out of all the the Dollars trilogy, I mean, they're all classics, they're all highly revered. This one, to me, certainly is my um, first impressions. Um, stands out to it as the one that is kind of on the pedestal the most, um, and is always lauded as you know as a classic. And if you want to get into spaghetti westerns, this is where you start. Certainly with this trilogy, definitely. Um, and the fact that it does deconstruct in that way, um, and why it casts such a long shadow, not just in the western genre, but you know, drama, and obviously we just read to the likes of, of Tarantino um, as to see why it's lasted through the decades as an absolute stone cold uh, classic. Yeah, I mean, t- the funny thing with Tarantino, and I don't, I don't want to go into a big chat about Tarantino, but I think it's clear from this this series we did on on him th- three or four years ago now that I'm, I'm very much a fan with, um, I wouldn't even say reservations, but I, I certainly had some negative things to say about him. But overall, I think most of his films are extremely like good, and I think he's very good. But um, in much the same way as he'll, he'll talk about potential future uh, projects that you can take with a pinch of salt because they'll never happen. How many years was he talking about the Vega brothers? You know, it'll obviously never happen now because we're both too old. But um, you know, then it was Kill Bill three, and then it was I might do this and I might do that and I might do the other. And at one point it was even Star Trek. Um, that would have been the, a piece, of, uh, a sequel to a piece of the action, which might have been interesting in its way. But um, the other thing he does is every time he talks about his favourite films, he names a different one. Now I think yeah. <laughs> I think that's a function of two things, Mem- three things: memory, who he's talking to, and the fact that he knows so many films. I remember Martin Scorsese was once asked for his ten favourite films, and he got to a, a list of 127 and had to stop. <laughs> and he just said, "But there's so many movies, and so, um, many. so many great movies, you know." And I think there's a little bit of that with Tarantino, but certainly at times he has named the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's been on uh, home releases on the front cover as my favourite movie, Quentin Tarantino. Um, so definitely he has named it at times. Um, yeah, all the, all the kind of various, it, I mean, yeah. like Kill Bill, um, all the kind of like Western-infused films that he's made, you can, like, we can certainly But see. his characters are the same. They're, they're never yeah. good or all bad. He, I mean, if you pick of possibly his worst character in terms of being absolutely psychotic, you would possibly throw not necessarily, but you could make an argument for Mr. Blonde. Yeah, but definitely. He's the most loyal of all of them. Honour amongst thieves did years in prison and didn't rat out the two that had put him there. No, exactly. Um, and it's the same here. And I'm, I'm just, I did read earlier that which one of them is the bad and the ugly was swapped around in the theatrical trailer anyway. So I think it's well, that's much it, more. Exactly. They can all apply to each other. They're all elements of, yeah, of each and every one. It's much more of a than anything else. Absolutely. Definitely. And that's the genius of the film for sure. Um. So, well, you're the easy one here, Becca. Your first experience of this was today. Literally just today. <laughs> oh, no, obviously we, we planned to record it a, a while ago. Um, so I did start to watch it, and I just kind of like got like the main the main beats and everything. I mean, like the, the credit sequence is surely one of the most famous in in history. It's like three three minutes long, but just incredible. Um, and like the opening ten minutes is also quite iconic because there's no no dialogue. Um. But it's amazing to learn about how much like was improvised in, in this film as well, because I didn't have any knowledge of it. But yeah, it's, it's one of those. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm gonna hold my hand up and say I'm that person in the team. A lot of these films I have not seen. I didn't quite know 
what's happened. I've just fallen off my list. To be um, fair, to be fair, Becker, I was just shocked to read to, uh, James Mason as to not appearing in this film. The reason being, <laughs> uh, we were talking about North by Northwest before we started recording. So you were talking so about Hitch- So I've got the North by Northwest page open, and I was sat there looking at James Mason's name, thinking, <laughs> where the fuck was he in this film? He's in the film. And I was thinking, Philip Van Damme. Where do I know that name? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> Neither is um, Cary Grant. Neither is um, yeah, but my, my eyes, no. was, my eyes were in line with his name, even though Cary Grant's right above it. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, that, that, that'd be quite interesting. Like actors appearing in other films. That's that's probably another chat for for another day. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, sorry, first viewing today. <laughs> but yeah, first viewing was largely today, all the way through, all three hours of it. Um, and it is an epic. Um, yeah, no, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'll definitely have to go back and watch it again to soak up all the little bits um, and pick up all the crumbs um, that, I, that I missed the first time round. Um, performance is spot on. Clint Eastwood, I think, has never been cooler. Maybe as Dirty Harry, but he is just, he is just an icon. Um, you know, like he's definitely iconic movie villain, especially here as well. Um, appreciate his role's changes, certainly in, in this trilogy. Um, but again, he's kind of like another one of those characters where, but he might he'll be the same but he may have a different name um Bugby Clint Eastwood is you know assumes a blondie character here today but no I, I really enjoyed it and I de- can definitely see um how and why it's it's remained so popular um and enjoyed throughout all the decades and it remains iconic today um and I think it will shoot very highly quickly um up to a list of favorite films ever but yeah how about you guys? he was known as George Kaplan I shut the page <laughs> Jesus yeah actually one thing I did <laughs> Yeah, going to see, also I went to go see North by Northwest at the BFI as part of the therefore be restoration um, for that anniversary screening. One thing that will stick with me is just how obviously Cary Grant, who's quite known for having like a, a really nice sort of like Hollywood tan, I just kind of felt like I wanted to give him like a, a coat of varnish or something. He just, I just, it just looked so oh my gosh, like he was carved out of rich mahogany or something. I was like oh my gosh. I don't know if that was just like the full page I felt the same about yeah I feel the same every time I see like I saw, used to see Bob Monkhouse it, it it could be real tan but it might not yeah. be and you just well, think it, like it, it just think, fantastic it, you just you know, imagine when they take their shirt off the collar will be like filthy and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah it's just, <laughs> yeah, just like pretty spray tan yeah but no it, it looked very good but I was just like wow you know obviously <laughs> it'd been quite quite a long time in that California sun um but no he, he looked very sharp very sharp in that suit. Um, and the crop duster scene, you know, look, never looked better. I don't want to um, step on fun facts, but we may have mentioned in an earlier show. So um, he wore the same um, poncho in all three films, having not washed it or changed oh, it. Or oh, right. <laughs> no, I'm um, sorry. Cary Grant. Yeah, no, um, Clint in this film, I meant. But yeah, Cary Grant did not wear a duster in North by Northwest. It would have <laughs> no, looked out of place at the United yeah, no, Nations. I think, I think we did mention it. And it was a previous fun fact. That I think he's mm. worn the same the Car- Cary Grant. <laughs> Clint Eastwood's when he's worn the same outfit basically he's worn the same poncho mm. um in all three films um and he didn't wash it in between and so it must have stank there's something so timeless but on north by northwest the late 50s early 60s that like american era with those suits and they've always got a drink in their hand and things like that it's kind of timeless he's either smoking a cigar or got yeah. A, yeah got a glass or something in his hand but the, no, the mad I'm, men I'm evokes the same feeling yeah precisely well, i'm looking forward to obviously Obviously, we're big Hitchcock fans here as well. This is a, just a slight diversion, but we'll get back onto the westerns in a minute. Yeah. Um, but I just had to say, I'm really looking forward to to um, to discussing Hitch. I know it's 
not it's quite passe these days and not very trendy at all um but But yeah unlike the deeply fashionable dollars trilogy (laughs) yeah this is it (laughs) precisely well you know we've got new we've got new westerns neo westerns we kind of come out the other side um yeah going sort of like you know new westerns being made now you know quite popular um so yeah i think you know it's it's as fresh as fresh as any genre really um yeah that that was my first experience of of this film and and indeed this this trilogy um certainly tonight um and i'm glad to have got that ticked off my list Uh, but it's certainly one that i'll revisit because it's just one that is so wide-ranging and and so classic and the the better stand you know it sounds like someone's got the salazzo scene going on in the background (laughs) you know the godfather when michael's about to shoot salazzo in the throat oh yeah it's probably it's probably my house because what we've got a well, it was a really old 30-year-old house. All right. um, and our water pipes are a bit dodgy, so I do apologise. Ah, I'll okay. mute the microphone. All right, sorry, go on. No, that's it, I'm done. I'll pass you over to, I don't know. Let's go, let's put Charlie on the spot. What was your first experience of this film? How did you get on with it? Over to you. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen it lots of times. Um, I think, I'm, I can't remember the first time I saw it. Um I think it, it I, I was looking up earlier, it was on the movie James season that I used to watch um, back in 1988, so I could have picked it up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. It's, like Dave said, it's a really interesting kind of change from the first two films where it's, it's much kind of morally grey. Um, and even Clint Eastwood, the good, is a wanker. Really, they're, they're, well, they're, they're all they're all bastards, and they're they're all kind of double cheating each other out and trying to uh, get the uh, the money and whatever for themselves, um, and they're happy to do some pretty nasty things to uh, to get it. Um, but yeah, and, and also the way um, he uses the uh, the American Civil War as the backdrop as well uh, is really interesting. Um, and I remember on a, one of the posters, the tagline was, um, for these three, the Civil War wasn't a war, it was practice, was something along those lines. Um, and uh, yeah, so that stuff is, is really interesting. And yeah, that, that kind of is where some maybe some more of the humanity of some of the characters is um, kind of exposed. Um, and um, a, Presuming we all watched the same version, the uh, nearly three-hour. That's right. Yeah, two fifty-eight something. Yeah, I don't know if it's a director's cut or an international Italian cut or whatever, um, but that adds some more things as well. Um, some just interesting little moments. Um, Broadly speaking, and we'll see this with Once Upon a Time in the West, that the newer versions are, are were the intended versions. They tended to be hacked for international markets. Mm. Um, and you see that with other spaghetti western directors. I won't go into it now, but both myself and Charlie have covered various home releases where they'll send you the theatrical version, butchered, but butchered in the same way as the sort of Wicker Man is butchered in that it's perfectly watchable cut, but for whatever reason they've decided to trim 15 minutes out of it. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know how essential the new the, the deleted scenes were but they're good character bits so and it doesn't it doesn't really matter what's like 20 minutes between friends in a film like this um obviously marconi's score is amazing um 
especially the uh, the ending cues with the ecstasy of gold and, and the trio um, at, at the cemetery. I oh, didn't that um, feel so grand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if Tarantino used part of. Uh, I think he might have used part of ecstasy as gold in uh, in one of his films as well. Um, but, well, uh, Morricone did him a song, uh, uh, did him a score for The Hateful Eight, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking um, maybe in something like uh, Django or um, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, uh, and of course there's also um, Bounty Law in One Spot of Time in, in uh, Hollywood, so you don't know. I still haven't seen that. I love it, but it's it's um, it's a film that certainly on first viewing, forget the plot. Not because yeah. there isn't one, but he's just become less and less interested in forward momentum as he's got older and you either go with that or you don't it's a bit like james cameron is nowhere near as tight as filmmaker as he was 30 years ago and you can either go with it or not and so even if you even if you look at something like django unchained um king schultz goes into like uh the saloon with him um, and you get close-ups and very slow shots of him pouring a beer and it's like completely unnecessary, but it's just he's letting the film breathe. And, yeah. he, and, and once upon a time in Hollywood has a massive amount of that. Um, it's very it's, um, flow, it's, it's very d- just spend time in this in this like environment. It's like, let's just let's an era he's in love with. So he's just enjoying recreating it. So many of his favorite films, film stars, music and everything is from that era because it's set in 1969, obviously. Um, and and I think that's why he's just like, oh, let's see some more of it. And I've recreated that building and so on. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, going back to this from uh, Beck was talking earlier about the cast, and yeah. obviously those those three are are um, fantastic. Um, but there's also interesting kind of bit parts from people who were in the previous two films as well. Um, and it's nice to see them kind of pop up in new roles but still kind of make their own their own of it and some of some of them are kind of diametrically opposed as to what they were in previous films so they're not just like henchmen and stuff like that no. uh, which is interesting but uh yeah i mean it's it's, it's a masterpiece oh yeah sorry thanks for that Charlie. sorry to have missed that out that's quite interesting i didn't realize I only know by name because it's a couple of months ago now and uh, honestly the side characters in this film just don't I wouldn't say they don't stand out to me, but they don't stand out to me as, oh, I remember him because it's been a few months now. Yeah, I've recognised the big heavy from the last film. Because he basically plays like a, like a similar sort of, like the big heavy of the, like, of, from... He could have been, because I do remember talking about one of the previous films, and I likened one of the heavies in that to a guy that was in the TV series Deadwood. And that was a heavy set guy with dark hair. Yeah, well, uh, and I think it's the same guy that he's um, chained to on the railway mm, in this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He, but it would need to be pointed out to me. He played three different roles in well, all three films. Mario Braga, um, and uh, yeah, he was um, Nino, the big um, henchman of India in the previous film. And now you've got another guy, the guy who plays Chico's brother, Luigi Pastilli. Who is who in the last film was groggy yeah yeah I recognize him now the friend of the of another friend of India's yeah um Chris what about you in this film Did you yeah seen it before? Can't um, remember what so said now about previous ones yeah so uh, 
before now, um, and we've seen this once before, and it was again, it was like years ago, like basically like the other two, really. Um, so that's about where I, I came. It's it's one of those films where you, well, I've I watched and I thought, oh my god, this is great, and then for some reason you just never return to it. So you know, I've I had it on Blu-ray, I had, I had a box set, but I just never actually went back to it. Um, so it's 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 one of the good things about doing these podcasts. You can actually, you know, it gives you a good reason to actually watch them. Um, so yeah, that that's basically that's basically where I was beforehand. As to, in regards to um, first thoughts, it's the thing that strikes me the most is like the music. Like the, the the music itself is just like iconic. Even if you don't realise that it's from Good, the Bad, the Ugly. I mean, a lot of people think they're wah, wah. but um, it's like uh, everything else you saw. That's that's instantly recognisable and and epic as as you said. Um, what what struck me is interesting is like despite this being like the quintessential. Western title, well, like title Western. But if you ask people, name me Western, good bad ugly would be like one of the most popular answers. Yes. And it and it's very like not like most Westerns. Like it's it's not your stereotype. Well, I mean it, at, at times it doesn't even resemble. Like most of the time it doesn't even resemble your, your Western. Um, it because because a lot of it's set at the back of um of the of the civil war there's you know the, the, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on you've basically got these three characters and they're, cha- and they're, they're chasing gold usually it's like western's almost set like it was like in a, a small town somewhere there's like there's a sheriff and all these kind of tropes this this has none of that and it doesn't and in, in, in a way it doesn't sort of feel like your stereotypical western and that's one of the things that struck me the most about it is that it just feels like a very different beast altogether. Um, that it's like you wouldn't necessarily sort of when you think of like oh I'm going to sit down and watch a western, I wouldn't necessarily think about watching the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, I'd 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 watch it on it on it for its own terms. Rather you know if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. I mean, it's funny it's a three-hour film, but if you think back to for a few dollars more. We actually see them pick up their bounties, mm. whereas here we don't because it's not important and we got quite a lot to get through. That said, when we don't get through it particularly fast, I mean nobody speaks for about I think I think Lee Van Cleef is the first to speak, and it's it's either just before or just on ten minutes into the film. Uh, the sort of first act explaining how um, Clint and Eli work together doesn't end until about half an hour into the film. I mean, it really does take mm. its time actually setting its scenes. And we have a long time, in, you know, with them sort of one deserts the other and then, you know, them getting dehydrated and getting somewhere mm. else takes a long time. So it's quite languid, but it doesn't throw in a lot of superfluous stuff. It just tells us what it needs to tell us. It just doesn't hurry about doing it. Um, so we don't really meet many sheriffs or anything like that. We We are not focused on one guy's interaction with the town as we get in a lot of these these films but even something as late as unforgiven where it's either the town's perspective on somebody coming into town or somebody's perspective on going into a town it's it's one one extreme or the other and it's neither here um i mean it's not even set in one place for for you know for that 
it's uh, I mean, it's a more expensive film. It's it's double the price of last week's and six times the price of of for the first film. Um, it's take at the box office significantly higher than either. Different writers again. Um, agents uh, is what are they called again? Agent Scarpelli, who tended to write a lot of comedies. And just the whole tone and feel of it's different, but a lot of it is that score. And the funny thing is, it's of a piece in its main theme. It just feels like the next one on, even though it's more iconic. Hmm. But like Charlie said, you, you suddenly get like you get the final showdown at the end. And there's a grandiosity that, that wasn't there in the first two films, which felt so much smaller. So it's a, it's a different beast. And it's things like it doesn't matter which side's which. We're, we're not invited to have a view on Confederacy versus uh, the sort of uh, unionists, I suppose. Apologies, Americans, if I've got those terms wrong, but you know what I mean. Staying in the Union versus seceding, the South versus the North, or other way around. Mm. Um, it's sort of something that's just happening invited, in the background, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... When I say we're not in, invited to have a view, I'm not saying because the people involved in this film wouldn't have a view. Uh, I'm sure they weren't wrapping themselves in the Confederate flag, but it just doesn't matter. They need the help of whoever comes along. So when uh, at the, someone comes along, they need their help. They suddenly shout for the Confederacy. They realise, shit, that's the North or vice versa. And it, it doesn't matter. It, it's a battle and they have no view on it. They walk into it. You see it in some, you know, I'm thinking of a, a video game I don't particularly like, a relatively modern Assassin's Creed game, Odyssey, where you go around as a mercenary and you can you can be on the Spartan side, you can be on the sort of Greek side, you know, the Achaean side, whichever, and it doesn't matter. And you're not really invited to have a view. It's whatever in, in it's whatever accelerates your path through what you're doing. And it's the same here. Um so again it's part of this whole deconstruction of it's not actually about morality it's about what is it you want in life that, that none of these are good compared to the other you could you could theoretically put sort of um eli wallach as the bad as he was in the original trailer for the simple reason that he's he's the one being bounty hunted by the other two but it doesn't really matter they're all after some gold it's as simple mm. as that and they don't care whose gold it is or where it is or who they have to interact with to get to it. Um, so I think just for me, that that is that those are effectively my first thoughts. I mean, just to do it in reverse, my first exposure to the film, I've mentioned this before, but I saw I had a box set of the three and that the transfers were so bad that by the time I got to this one, I was almost starting to check out of it because three hours of an incredibly grimy cover you know and i'd really like the second film as well i couldn't warn to this as much and then i saw the restored version which uh, sort of started me on the path of liking it more but i was by the by that time i was in love with once upon a time in the west and maybe there is room for only one i don't know and then i watched it in prep for this a uh, month and a half ago when we were originally going to record it and it was a click and it, i i mentioned it to charlie because Charlie would understand this as an, as my example in in a different way and to a different degree. It was like Star Trek the motion picture. In the Star Trek the motion picture, I, I never hated. I found slow, but I was always like, it didn't do a massive amount for me. I like the score. I like some of the stillness of it. You know, Kirk actually going that six minutes of Kirk flying around the Enterprise and then finally docking, and getting on it. The people that think the the bit that people think is the boring, motionless bit of the film was the bit that transfixed me. But there was no doubt I found it relatively lifeless compared to what followed. And then I watched it in preparation for when we did it all those years ago, and it clicked. It was just like, oh, I get it, I get it, right, brilliant. 
And I, I had that sort of experience with this about six weeks ago. Now, today, I left it until today to watch it. And again, because it had been too long. And I left myself with three hours of it to do this morning because I was going out this afternoon. And I really wasn't in the mood for a film. And on that basis, I was inviting, I was caught in disaster. I was caught in this is going to be a terrible viewing and I want to fast forward through. And it got me within about 10 minutes again. And I sat and watched it happily before I went out. I was going to watch a bit before and a bit after. I watched it all this morning between about 10 and 1. And uh, I really, really like it. It's a superb, superb piece of work. Um, It's lost that slight cheapness of the first two. It's not as lavish as a Once Upon a Time in the West. The score isn't either as grand as it is. It doesn't have the, I don't know, is romance the word? I don't know. Elegance, maybe? I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that in a couple of minutes. Operatic possibly that could be it but it has a grandiosity but it just it it's it's not quite as prestige and i can't maybe express yeah i think operatic is probably the best way to put it that's that seems a great yeah. way to, to encapsulate it well, for sure it's definitely it, it's gone a step ahead of the first two for me now and i i expected it to finish in the middle what you know a fistful of dollars the relatively cheap knocked out sort of proof of concept for a few dollars more was the film i really loved and this one like yeah it's a bit too long but i like it uh no Quite, quite the contrary. This is a superb piece of work. I love it. <laughs> well, standing ovation. So, what are we covering next week? <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. It's everyone done first thoughts. I think we yeah. have. Have we? Okay. Well, I didn't realise that, I, folks. I, I thought we did. Charlie, we Chris, did. Dave. All right. So we're all fairly fond of it. Let shall we discuss this film sequentially? It's a long film. Hopefully we can be done. So, <laughs> is it is it a long film but with a relatively short plot? Or I I don't worry. This is going to be an excessively long show because I don't think it's that complicated. It's no, I think it's I think another one of those that you could it, we, so. you I could think... agonise on beats like any film. It, it's got a lot of a lot happens, but it, it's not in service of a huge amount. This is three guys after some money, and we've got a we've got a few little wrinkles as to how they're. Hmm. how they interact with each other how they're together how they get put onto the money and how they require each other at different times during the plot to keep their search on track that that's what that's the that's the wrinkles in the film it's not a difficult plot no no i mean just do we open with what is essentially like the first like sort of title card introductions for characters you know, we've got like the you're introduced to the ugly and it's and it's like freeze frame and you get like the name. Uh, isn't that after the music? Don't we get the credits first? I can't remember. Yes, we I do get credits. We get the title sequence first. But yes, we get we get like a who they are first. The first is Eli Wallach, who is the ugly Tuco, and he's basically being hunted down as a, as a he's a bank robber basically. And we see him in the midst of one of his crime. He took, but you know, kicks someone out of a window. That's the first we see of him. Hmm. Um, and he actually wounds someone. We will see later in the film. Um, and he's being hunted now. On on first um, on first look, he's being bounty hunted by Clint Eastwood's character Blondie, who is the good. Uh, but obviously, that we're going to find out a little bit different here. But we don't meet him immediately, do we? We meet Tuco first who is basically a bank robber. Mm-hmm. Do we see Angel Eyes, the bad, before we see Clint? Yes, it, it goes in order. Yeah. Uh, but like well, we were there, so first. ugly, yeah, ugly, bad. 
so the third the, the middle one is angel eyes and he is searching for he seems to be aware of the specific money first he is searching for a trunk of gold owned by a, a confederate soldier a guy called bill carson now bill carson had a different name at the point where he knew him he was called something jackson uh, whether that's an inside reference, I don't know if you look at your American history and, you know, but there you go. Um, now, this this is again, this is where I don't know if they're talking. I don't know if the amounts of money in this film are translated to sort of more modern amounts. So they mean something to an audience because it's worth about two hundred thousand dollars, which seems absurd for eighteen hundred and something. But I suppose if they were chasing four dollars fifty, that might be a bit <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that with regards to, um, the, these these movies, with the, these um, like sort of bounties, and you're thinking like, hang on, like does anyone actually have that? <laughs> does that amount of money exist back then? I don't know. I don't know. But it always reminds me of Austin Powers. I want a hundred million dollars, yeah. and they fall about it's, laughing. Yeah, just obscenely like, large. That sort of money. money doesn't exist in the world. But it, it, no. it's like, yeah, if you think about it, like someone's like even got like. $500, like, most people would, like, back then would, like, well, I'll retire to, like, a big massive house somewhere. And, like... Yeah, that was a lot of money back then, I'm sure. <laughs> You've only got yeah. to go how, to how our, grand... today? our grandparents' generation. They're, they're, like, if they bought houses, they bought their first house of £650 or something. Yeah. Bargain. These days it's unheard of. But, yeah, like, but the, like how much would it be, like, in today's money? I'm sort of... I don't know. But then we looked at um, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life when he offers him $20,000 and we did like that. We looked it up and it was like 700000 or something. It was <laughs> All right. So things inflate at different rates anyway, you know. Um, but anyway, OK, so he's he's interrogating somebody to find this guy because he knows of this money. And basically he ends up killing the guy having found out his name. He's now a guy called Bill Stevens and he kills him and his boss. And he's basically mm. off now looking for this Bill Carson character, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have, yeah, we have the um like a the long drawn out like uh, ter- like so, the opening kind of reminded me of the searchers. Well his introduction, not the opening really, but like the with him like sort of stood in the doorway. There was a yeah. little bit of the searchers in there, I thought. But um yeah. But yeah, very different to how he was uh, last episode. Uh um, Keith. Yeah, a little bit. The last film he reminded me of his turning Sabato, a bit more of the gentleman killer. There's less mm. of it here. Um, but that's just that's just choices, you know, in design and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, then we go on to um, Tuco and Blondie, and I love this. At this point, this reminds me of the second film because we are down in the sort of area of the two thousand dollar bounty, mm. and basically he's going town to town raising his notoriety everywhere and becoming more and more wanted. And then he's being sort of delivered by uh, Blondie to the local sheriff. They're collecting the bounty. And then as he's about to be hanged, Blondie will be somewhere out in the hills and he'll shoot the rope and then they'll escape. And they're just repeating this in every town. And I really love this. And it was the first thing I remembered about this film, that, that, that they kept pulling this trick. And this, you know, it takes half an hour for all of what we've just said to play out. But as with the previous film, we've just had like perfect introduction to the three of them. That tells us everything we need to know about them. Mm. There's a very much like a love hate relationship between these two. 
Boy um, more hate. <laughs> well, they need to. Obviously, Tuco is a fairly accomplished thief, and he's got a hint of brutality about him. Mm. He's quite happy to run in and rough up places, whereas Clint is more from distance and an excellent shot. So they comp- their skill sets complement each other. Um, but then it ends up with Blondie gets fed up with him and just leaves him in the desert. Um, yeah, so where do we go from there? Um, I don't know what you thought of all this, Charlie, but this is the, the, there's, the, this sort of whole middle section of the film did seem a little needlessly complex because you've got you've got him leaving Tuco and then Tuco having to find his way back and wanting revenge and then him leaving Blondie and Blondie like getting dehydrated and then having mm. to recuperate somewhere and then getting caught. Sorry to do the whole plot in a potted well, we'll go back over it. But a lot of that seems almost unnecessary. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's kind of... It's enjoyable. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it's more a character thing and it's because again it kind of shows some of the, the kind of civil war backdrop as well but also that Tuco isn't just the kind of um, comic, comic relief I guess no because he's got a brutality that he will strike back and it's, yeah. he, he nearly has it but I think that's what we're saying is the plot complex no I've just mm. told you 70% of their plot lacking yeah. most of the but detail it's about character. yeah so the first thing he leaves Tuco Tuco um, is has to sort of get out of the desert by himself, and he's also had his money taken from him. Then he catches up with Blondie and just forces him to walk through the desert with him until he collapses with dehydration. Mm. And actually, the makeup's really well done for 1966. Mm. Go and look Burns. at what TV makeup was like at the time—the sort of burnt face. Go go and look at like Star Trek in this era or something on TV. It's really good for not a massive budget film. Um. And so, yeah, he basically he's drinking water and just washing his shoes and stuff in front of him to taunt him. Yeah, knocking it away as he's like sort of he's got a kind of pretends yeah. to offer it to him and shit like that. But yeah. in the midst of all this, uh, now the bit I've lost is how have they heard? Is Bill Carson well known? Ah, this is no, where he, they he learn. Tells them. He says, "In exchange for water, you you'll be a rich man." Right, yeah. So at this point, um, I've, sorry, what's he called? The bad. Oh, Angel okay. Eyes. Angel Eyes, the actor. Lee, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, Lee Van Cleef's already in search of this money. These two don't know about it. They're just playing their stupid tricks on each other. Mm. But as they're there and he's dying, basically, mm. uh, I. I sort of hospital ambulance effectively a horse-drawn carriage pulls up with a load of confederate soldiers in it and amongst them is a guy with an eye patch on bill carson now we know this name because it's been set up by establishing um lee van cleef's um character arc and story and he uh basically says to tuco if you can save me give me water everything else there is money in in this confederate gold 200,000 and it's mm. in a grave and he tells him which cemetery it's in and then when he returns with water he's already died but he's told blondie, blondie. which grave so you've got instantly um, got like the power demo it's like back game back again they need each other yeah now i don't think 
he knows where now Lee Van Cleef doesn't know where it is at all he just knows the name and that it's in an unmarked grave somewhere and of these two one of them knows the graveyard and one of them knows the grave but not the graveyard Mm. so um, he's dead so now he can't leave Blondie to die so they have to go somewhere to recover and he goes to a place that Tuco's brother works in um how the different families live one of them's a crook and the other one's a priest mm. now it's presented as um as it was like a choice like you have two choices if you, you if you did this or you did what i do um yeah. yeah i think so but none of this fantastically interested me i mean obviously to start with the, when he first caught up with um blondie he was going to kill him and because the civil war keeps impeding on them. Their story, it's all about their story. But because they're in the midst of the civil war, mm. it just shows up now and again. It will show up near the end. But like they were, he was about to die. The Confederacy soldiers turned up dying. That interrupted and influenced their story. Before that, he was about to hang Blondie, and they got hit by a cannon because there was a battle going on in the town. Uh, so now they're recovering, and. Um, they end up leaving the monastery once he recovers and decide that they're going to go search for the gold together. Um, and now we hit on the next time the sort of civil war impedes upon them. And this is like pure comedy. A load of soldiers are on the way. They encounter a load of soldiers and Tuco goes, what's the name of their, what's the name of their leader? Ah, yeah. And starts letting, yelling Confederate statements. And it turns out to be a Union patrol. Because they were all dusted um, with... Because uh... they were dusted, so it was a different colour. And they end up... I thought up that in... scene was, it was really clever. The reveal of that was really dead. He kept on saying, oh, yeah, down with Lee, down with General Grant, rah, rah, rah. And then they sort of dust themselves off. Which and one like, is it, what, Lee? Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> I think that was really cleverly done. It was, it was kind of obviously... There are some really sort of quite heavy moments, and this film is quite brutally violent. Um yeah. You know, it was, it was common in these films, but I think that was it was good to have. Um, you know, it's a masterstroke where they definitely need to have that kind of real comedic, like relief kind of moment, and like, oh bugger, you know. <laughs> I just, I found that quite quite amusing. Um, but yeah, it's just one of the things you think, oh, you know, they're sort of the, making all these. If, they, if they, I they had to have, if I had to have one complaint with it, it would just be from a pacing perspective it seems like we've gone from Clint incapacitated and having to recover. And and it doesn't almost doesn't matter if it's a prison or a hospital. Do you know what I mean? It really doesn't matter which it is. He's out of commission. It, yeah, just sort of drag out a little bit. I would agree. And then they get out of there and they're locked up again straight away. It's, they might as well have broken out of a prison into a prison. Yeah, mm. it's a bit... Yeah, it's a bit from kind of well, you know from one to the other really, isn't it? I I would kind of agree, um, but I think I think it's it's a nice moment where it just it does allow to allows that kind of sequence to to break up a little bit. Um, but I think the yeah that that reveal is done um quite well I think. So I just thought I'd pop up and say hello. Hello, <laughs> and then the, yeah so the, yeah, so basically they're in prison and this is Charlie you you tweeted on this earlier. This is probably the most brutal section of the film. Yeah, tell us about yeah. this one. It's it took me by surprise because the film's been largely funny so far. So you've got 
um, Angel Eyes is I because I, I was always confused by this as a kid whether or not he was a Confederate officer or whether he was just pretending to be one because he's a sergeant so he's got quite he's a, quite a high level. A uh, union, isn't it? They're union. That's how they got. Sorry, paid. union. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they were just with the Confederacy to be fair. I was shouting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he's a sergeant and his right hand man is. Um, a guy called Wallace, who was Mario Brega, who was the, the big guy, the big henchman in the uh, in the previous film, India's big henchman. Yeah, and as we said, know. probably something of an influence on the similar character in Deadwood, yeah. Mm. And uh, he takes, you know, he knows that he's Tuco and he knows Blondie, so they've all three... Bear in mind, they're they're pretending to be Bill Carson. Bill Carson, yeah. Because they've taken his eye patch and taken some of the Confederate clothing, and they they basically said, "Oh, I'm Bill Carson." After several attempts of of avoiding admitting who they were. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, here's Angel Eyes looking for Bill Carson. So it's. I'm Bill Carson. So is my wife. <laughs> so it's a little bit like that, isn't it? Like uh, the alias is passed along to try and you know provide yeah. an- anonymity and bit of protection. Mm. But yeah, I, I felt I'm really I. I do apologise. I did feel it was a little bit like I'm Spartacus, and so is my wife. And I was like, oh, really? So, but anyway, sorry to interrupt, Charlie. You carry on. No, um, so, but because he knows Bill Car Chuko, so he knows he is not Bill Carson, but because he's got the name, he takes him and his friend take away. He gives him food. He pretends to be nice, and then his uh, henchman kicks the shit out of him, and it's really brutal. And it really gets to a point where he kind of puts his thumbs in his eyes. Mm. And it's just, it's really hard to watch. That's torture. And and I think we, yeah, we, made a, we made another point. We were talking about it online earlier as we were, well, I think Charlie saw it last night because he posted on social media and yeah. seen it. And I watched it this morning, as I said. And I think Becca was watching it, I think this afternoon as I was finishing it, something like that. And I took a photo. I made a joke about it because on a still image, it looked like it looked like he was covered in food or something. It was a, just a joke off one still image. It didn't look like it in the moving film, but it looked like <laughs> it looked, he could have spilt like a dessert on himself or something. Um, only works as a still image, though. And um, I said something about that. And, and she said, it's this is surprisingly brutal. She said an hour later. And I said, well, I think a lot of it is the budget in the in the previous two films it was largely shot shooting at distance anyway but they'd shoot and it was like if you've ever gone and seen one of these stunt shows there's a place in this country somewhere i forget what it's called like frontier city it may not be there now because i went when i was a kid and they would do like western shootouts like as live shows and is that where they found that red dwarf episode that's set in the it Wild could West? have been i think, I think that there's probably more than one in the country and it may not have been the closest one to me this one's a couple hundred miles from me to be it's probably quite close to you becca somewhere uh, yeah, but um anyway frontier city it was called no there's photos of me there as a kid and stuff like that but of course when they're all shooting each other they're doing these shows every hour so they're not going to cover themselves in squibs because they've got to do it again an hour later so everything has that theatrical just playing sort of cowboys and indians as kids kind of feel to it and the first two films had that now all of a sudden we're seeing blood and injury detail and burns and we've got a close-in torture scene and and once you start thinking sticking your thumbs in people's eyes all right it may not be the most graphic but we can all imagine what that feels like yeah i did kind of find that quite this scene like difficult to watch especially because you've got the the contrast with the 
I, I must admit I'm not familiar with the song. I do apologise. Um, but it was sounding to me kind of like a like a battle hymn or like a certainly slower paced song being played by the the military band in the background. So you've got this horrible, brutal beating going on. So this kind of really slow paced, almost hypnotic sort of hymn almost sort of going on in the background. And to me, the the contrast was quite jarring. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why I was so surprised by the violence. Um, considering the last two films, um, and considering we've come through the Bond film, which kind of you know is obviously a lot of, of violence, death, destruction, rape, things like that. Um, it's quite interesting reading, doing some research about this film. But um, I keep wanting to say I Wallach, but it's not him. Lee Van Cleef. Um, there was an interview, um, and apparently he said these what sort of three principles that he had, especially as, as a as a movie villain. Um, in, in his films, he wouldn't slap women or you know hit sort of female actresses. Um, Sort of, you know, female cast members that he was opposing, uh, who's acting opposite. Who said um, that? Sorry. Uh, Lee Van Cleef, I believe. Okay, um, but yeah. basically, so he, he wouldn't sort of hit women and he wouldn't kick dogs as well. So no animal cruelty, um, and no slapping the ladies around. Um, so I think when he, there's a scene where he does kind of beat a, a you know female character, but I think it was done with a stunt because he, um, with, with a stunt actor, because um, he refused to do it just on, on, on the grounds, you know. And the actress was like, "Oh, no, it's fine. I'm just acting. It will be okay." And he's like, "No, this is a, a principle that I must adhere to." Um, but yeah, that yeah, that kind of film scene, I just I had to sort of look away a little bit. Um, but no, it's, it's just especially this film being a like, glorious Technicolor as well. I mean, it's it's still one of the most vibrant films, in, in certainly in, in the series. Um, and you really have to kind of ramp it up as well. Um, especially you know, c- coming through the Tarantino films that we did, um, it, still, it still quite surprised me um, with the violence of it. But it's it's, it's done, you know. Yeah, really but I mean, I, I didn't did do a time check, but it... in Europe. It must have been after the 90-minute mark. It must have been. I, I, I can't remember now. But when you think of the flow of what happens in this film, we, we must be either approaching or in the second half of the film. And it's the first yeah. time we've seen violence like that. Yeah, so it, it's, it's it quite shocking. Really, more. The, the film wasn't, wasn't doing that close-in hand-to-hand violence. It wasn't. No, but you, you see, obviously, like you know, dead bodies and you see obviously a lot, a lot of shooting. Um, and like, like there's a scene where it basically shoots... Um, I would would characterise it more that what you had more in this film than the previous two film was a sense of threat and peril yeah so um and lots of red paint so so they were hanging from ropes and you're like will he shoot it in time and you could almost feel yourself getting out of breath watching it and choking yeah. and the sweat and and all that sort of thing and the you, bit where like, he's, he's about to, to kill yeah and then of course clint gets like badly burnt on the face or and dehydrated and and, and it, it's all much more visceral than the first two films but it's not disturbing in the same way i would say like that my the biggest takeaway from this film is certainly all the the, the costumes and, and the makeup as well. Um, it's it's and it's one of those things where like if you start to realise those sort of things, it takes you out of the film. But I think for me, um, just gives you a greater appreciation of it as well. The fact that it's kind of shown in more detail. There is injury detail. There is a lot more blood than what we've seen. Um, a lot of the films that we've covered previously on this series have been quite cartoony, like the Bond films, for example. Or unless we do things like any sort of like body horror or stuff like that, I probably won't be around for. Um, that you know is kind of more graphic um I'm, I'm always impressed by the by how you know the sort of the hair and makeup and sort of step up to really provide that kind of more realistic to you know to show the horrors of, of, of the war of the u.s civil war as well um so that's something i didn't even mention unfortunately being an american history studies graduate so i'm a bit ashamed at that um so it's quite interesting to kind of just show you know show the horrors of war as well and show like the violence of of it and, and, the, and if you, you know fertility of it really yeah, absolutely, and and again, it's it's just 
the civil war is just the backdrop, isn't it? I mean, they they managed to get themselves out of this. How did they escape? I can't remember. Um. So. Um. So, Angel Eyes is torturing Tuco. Um, and Tuco doesn't give him the name, or does he? Yeah, Tuco gives him the the name of the cemetery. In the end. Right. Yeah, but he says he's with Blondie, and Blondie, and and uh, Angel Eyes knows that Blondie won't talk. Right. So yeah, it's now. He knows he'll die anyway. We're now at the point they all need each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, um, yeah, and then they go and like sort of. Uh, they, well, they, they don't necessarily kill uh Tuco there and then, but they ba- they basically sort of chain they they chain to be sent to be um executed. Or or sent somewhere like you know in a Confederate jail, so he's like out of the way. Yeah. Um. That's why he's like chained up to uh to the guy who and he ends up um escaping. Yeah, again, even that's a brutal scene to just, you know, run over by a train and have gone by then. But yeah. Okay, so we're now at the point where they know the cemetery and the grave between them. Hmm. And um, so they've all got to get there together. And of course, there's a there's a there's a civil a pitch civil war battle on the bridge over which the other side is the um, is the cemetery they need to get to. So then we've got. Uh, am I jumping too far ahead to say we've now at a point where they need to blow this bridge? Well, there's there's a bit where um, so Angel Eyes is with Blondie, though although yeah. reluctantly, uh, yeah. though though like it reveals that Angel Eyes has like a bunch of guys with him. Yeah. Um, yes. Which I, which I'm assuming he's planning on killing. <laughs> yes, he is. He's he's waiting until the second he gets the information. That he can use and then he can kill him off. No, but the is is other mates though, like the yeah 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 yeah. Um, but uh, uh, and while uh, Tuco is is chasing up with them because they kind of know where they're going. Um, again, this is like there's other little bits. So like one of the one of the guys at the beginning who who tries to um, who tries to kill Tuco or try to capture Tuco uh, sneaks up on him while he's in the bath. And he shoots him. That's where you have like, they rips off Die. Well, this is what Die Hard ripped Call off. Back to like... the start of the film, and it's also reminding you of the perils in. There's this yeah. people ch- chasing him for everywhere. He's mm. robbed banks everywhere. He's pissed people off everywhere, and he's hurt people everywhere as well. So mm. there's quite a long list of people after him. And um, yeah, so there's that. There's that. But the but Bondy man. There's a bit of a sort of shootout with Blondie and the other, uh, the other guys. Yeah. Um, Which do, does feel a bit padding, but all right. Like yeah, like we need a body count. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, then that's when like T- Tuco and Blondie get get back together again. Yeah. Okay. So then we go to the sort of pitch battle and the bridge. And have you got this in your fun facts, Becca? This bridge. My fun facts actually contain no bridge facts. Ah, right. Well, this bridge... When so I thought blew... we might discuss it. There's a, okay. I've got, I've got a potential the controversial fact. They blew the bridge, uh, but it was a miscommunication over the radios. So it got blown without the cameras uh, <laughs> rolling. Oh. So the guy who, blew, who gave the order to blow it, or appeared to, got fired. And then they all agreed to sort of get it rebuilt uh, on the basis that that guy got... Yeah, so they built it and blew it twice, this bridge. Um, 
so yeah um again this bit of the film feels slightly busy work the key point is they do get across to the cemetery and again they're, they're double crossing each other left right and center Tuco thinks he's got the right name the name of Arch Stanton so he goes running across to try to find it um he's having cannon shot at him by Clint that's quite a tense scene though I think isn't it when he's kind of he, he does a loop where he appears to do a loop you know he's searching out for the for the gravestone um and the fact that he sort of you know can't find it immediately and they sort of running here there and everywhere I kind of feel like we're, we're kind of getting lost with him I know that's really stupid but I kind of feel like you know he's we're sort of trying to hunt it down with him and we're trying to think where is it where is it you know in that desperation also whilst he's having pot shots taken at him so it's, it's a very tense scene for sure the gist is though they get there first and or as he gets there to start digging up the grave clint gets to sort of gets to him and sort of has a gun at him orders him to dig and then um lee van cleef has got a gun to him so the three mm-hmm. of them are there and when he digs it up it's just a body that's not there so he doesn't have the name and then we're, we're right at the end now. Clint says mm-hmm. he writes it on a rock. He says, I'll, I'll write the name of the, the person whose grave it is and put it in the middle of this um, quite conveniently placed place to have a duel in the middle of our, this big sort of circle that they can have a duel circle in. Circle right? with no graves. Yeah, just in the yes, middle of the no graveyard. Graves, yeah. Just in case the dead want to have a duel. Um <laughs> And he writes the name and then we have the duel. And what do we want to say about this, really? It's very standard for these types of films. We do see these across all the all the Morricone, uh, mm. all the Leone films with the Morricone score. Is this kind of where it comes from, though? It's one of those scenes. It's, it's, again, it's iconic. I, I use that term quite a lot, so I'm sorry. Um, but it's iconic and it's, it's become a kind of a trope, isn't it? Is this kind of where it got started? Is this where we see it first? Does anybody know? Charlie, you know Weston's better than me. I'm not sure to be honest. Um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I think probably the uh, um, this is probably one of the most famous kind of scenes for it. Um, I think the fact there's three of them. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, the, the whole Mexican standoff thing was a real thing. Yeah. Oh sure, no definitely. Um, yeah, um, but uh, this is probably yeah one of the most probably the most famous example of it. And what Tarantino borrowed, it was homaged with in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although he, what was the, ah, oh, yeah, there's another film he took that from. But anyway, the final act of Reservoir Dogs is largely from another film. But yeah. Um, it's probably like one of Hong Kong, isn't it? Like, it is. Yeah, when it's Hong Kong. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it's Hong Kong or Germany. It is. Absolutely right. Um, I couldn't remember if it was Hong Kong, Japan or Korea. It's City on Fire. Absolutely. Um, and I will have said that at the time when we recorded it, but it's a few years ago now. If you think back to the first film, it was a shootout in the town. I think this sort of out of town, away from everyone else, possibly. It's more the fact that it's a Mexican standoff. They could all point at each other and all kill each other at the same time, mm. as it turns out. Uh, Clint is pointing at Lee shoots him gets so gets his shot off first lee is pointing at clint so obviously he's in no danger and kuko and tuko's gun's been unloaded by clint the night before without <laughs> him knowing uh so he's he shot into a grave I mean, it's poor form to check isn't it before you go to go i mean that that, that could that could have gone hor- that could have gone horribly wrong where like as as the, as they're squared up he's like he's looking at him i've got, got the fucking bullets here <laughs> or or Tuco noticed it half hour before and just reloaded his gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
but yeah there you go so um there's just the two of them left and this is always the bit i didn't quite understand because when i first watched this film i know it sounds daft because it's in a lot of shots but probably it was at the end of three hours and i didn't have the greatest viewing on the very first time i don't think i appreciated he left Tuco with money so i'm like why are you threatening to hang him and all that you've left him with his share so it basically he hangs him leaves him standing on the top of a gravestone with his share of the money and disappears off and then just before he he's about to fall off this grave and hang himself blondie shoots him from distance and then just runs rides off into the sunset oh we, we always say rides off into the sunset we've got no no proof the sun's about to set but there you go i don't understand this hanging in business is it just to just basically say stay away from me is it to stop him stealing trying to steal clint's well, yeah, the, so they carry on forever. Well, the, the whole, that's the whole, running through the whole film, um, I think we've probably glossed over it a bit, is the kind of subplot of these two getting one up on each other. Yeah. And where where it's come, it, it's come of, you can see kind of also the kind of elements of, of what would eventually become the buddy comedy. Yeah, and I do wonder if it's a good way to sign off because they've literally been stealing from each other or putting themselves in situations where one could die. Yeah. Whereas here, he's released him, he's got money. He hasn't got a ride, admittedly, so I don't know quite how that works. But I suppose it's a way to say, I won in the end, let's leave it there. Exactly, and he is supposed to be the good in yeah. uh, inverted commas. Um, but because it was previously when... when um, Blondie and Angel Eyes were in the uh, in the town. That was and uh, Tuco. After Tuco shot that guy, he turned up uh, and and got one uh, got the one up on Blondie. With yeah. that great scene where you hear them, where he hears the spurs. Yeah. And again, it's the the sound there with the with the marching band outside. And he's he's loading his gun with all his bullets, and then he hears the spurs of all the men outside the uh, outside his ho- his hotel room and again that's some, something that's been in so many films since and i think a lot of what i like about westerns are the sounds you know the walking on wooden planks the spurs yeah. the sort of guns being cocked uh, horses coops all that sort of thing and mm. i think the soundscapes of the sort of spaghetti westerns uniformly are a little less clean and yeah. i like it i like it as a result so yeah that that's really our plot um uh, lee van cleve killed off and tuco sort of split in with half of the money mm. each but the sort of the good blondie having the sort of one up on on the situation yeah i think also with with uh, blondie being the good i think he's the one out of the three who displays the most humanity um i, I think that that kind of um uh, happens as the film progresses, so like you know, obviously uh, going through all the the war, you know, particularly the, the thing at the bridge, he, he also says a line that says um, like basically how like just complete just waste of uh, men, like of, of of life this is. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget what the line is particularly, but then there's, there's the bit afterwards where he where he offers the where he just comes across just a dying. Um, soldier i forget whether it's confederate or i know and he gives him in yeah. the, when they get into the graveyard and he gives him his cheroot mm. to smoke and he dies within seconds and, i and think he... that that is a byproduct as well of not making a judgment on which side is which it doesn't really matter 
it's yeah. just senseless death that they're just strolling through because mm. yeah, that that's because of kind of again maybe glossed over it a bit but when they uh go to the prison camp or the the, the um the base where the bridge is they meet they 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 ask the, the um i suppose it is, is it the confederacy there um where they or whoever where they say what are you doing here and Tuco, before Blondie gets there, I think Tuco says, we came to enlist. And then there's a captain there, and he's drinking. And that's, I think it's the closest thing Leone gets to kind of really moralising about the war, uh, about about the kind of senselessness of, of, of all the death in the war as well. And it's the captain, I'm pretty sure it is the captain that you see dying. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's it's, um, it's one of the things he says. He says like, "Oh, I'd blow that whole thing up," you know. Yeah, because again, morality—they steal a stretcher from a mm-hmm. from a, an injured man, so they can carry the explosives across to the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's it's almost like a kind of Lauren and Hardy kind of bit that. With with both both of them running running over with the stretcher and putting explosives on it while all these soldiers in the in the background are, are blowing each other up. Yeah, I mean it's played it's played completely straight, but this film yeah. is inadvertently well not inadvertently it's, by design. It's very funny in places. It's absurd, yeah, absolutely. There's an absurdity to it. Exactly yeah. that. They're walking through a war zone. And they're just obsessed with their own thing, which is money, which is in itself ridiculous. I mean, they're watching blokes race into each other and and slaughter. And they're thinking, yeah, we ought to bomb that bridge because we need to get over there. Mm. Yeah. The the bit where what Becca was talking earlier when we were talking about the um, with the band and where um, Wallace and and Angel Eyes beat up Tuco. Um, is where the, the, I mean the, the music that song was uh, is a song that was written by Marconi for the uh, film called The Story of a Soldier um, and uh, and I think you hear it in the score as well as uh, as well as in the uh, in that way diegetically when the uh, when the band are playing it yeah. and you've got Blondie with all the other soldiers and the soldier next to him says that they've all been through it so while this they're being very rather they're kicking the shit out of Tuco because he wants them to talk it also underlines angelizes brutality because this is something he does anyway yeah absolutely mm. they're, they're, they're just used to this life i mean you you yeah. almost wonder now in the modern world um We'd, we'd get we'd get prequels to this <laughs> you know how, how did they get to where they were and all that kind of nonsense yeah but it, it's the sort of thing that like it does interest me you just think like how did they end up like this in the middle of uh, you know because there is humanity there you know clint actually does give some sort of manly comfort to um to a dying man and in 1960s terms that he might as well be giving him a hug he might as well be holding him as he mm. dies um, do, do you know what I mean, Charlie? Mm. The sensibilities of this era, you know, he's he's really so given him yeah. he's really given him comfort here, and you think, well, the film didn't need to do that. It's telling us something, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think this is a big message film, but why put it in? It's there for something. And you do naturally start thinking, how did he end up like this? He actually cares about these people dying. Yeah. And again, but, but, but there's the underlying thing there about greed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we, what I don't want to do is paint it as a as a, a message film. I, I no, no, which is, which is why, yeah, which is why Lee is is kind of obscurates it a bit, and it's yeah. it's, it's a very grey film. But it, it's still terms. it's yeah. still giving you stuff to think, think about a bit. I think absolutely, I think that yeah. was the point, though. I think the point is like sort of uh, saying this isn't black and white, like the like the like however we want to paint. Like that, what, but I love films like that where you can think about it or choose not to, and it doesn't mm. actually affect the enjoyment. You want yeah. if you want to see this as three guys like crossing and double crossing each other over mon- money in what is almost a caper film in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and caper films have no real morality. Look at an Ocean's Eleven. What's the morality of that film? Zero. We're on their side. Hope they do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah. And yes, they did. Ocean's Eleven's not necessarily a brilliant example because the Terry Benedict character's an asshole. They do, the film does go out of its way to paint the guy they're stealing from as a dick. But, yeah, they all but, do that though. Like, but whenever... it wouldn't matter if he wasn't. We'd still be on their side. It'll, right? it'll either be if it's seen from a person that it's, it they, they always paint him as like a, a like a bad guy in some in some respects, so you don't feel bad. Is, or if that'll is, be a like we are we are generally in caper films on the side of people who are, who aren't strictly doing the right thing fast five is a caper film they, hmm. they're robbing a bank um and this film can be watched as just that and a very entertaining caper film because they're working together and double crossing each other it's not even like they're they're strictly in competition and doing hmm. it so that's great but as they're going through a civil war you can sort of think about that as well if you want and, yeah. and that's something that gives the film a depth that it it doesn't actually strictly need but it's yeah, there if you want to see. You, you look at the previous film where where where, where uh, yeah Van Cleef and Eastwood working together. I mean, obviously it comes in the end of it that Van Cleef is reading it for revenge. Yeah. What happened to his sister? But it's That's still right. kind of it still kind of has that thing where they're both kind of working together against the other guys to uh, to get all the money. And where yeah, and when we get to Once Upon a Time in the West, it it, it it's uh, well it's it's. it's it's everyone working in their own self-interest, and and one fairly decent woman at the centre of it all. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's kind of notable that, that this kind of film uh, is kind of maybe I don't know if it's the epicentre, but what came with with what are known now as revisionist westerns. Yeah. So because we're of the uh, the previous kind of as as Chris said, where it's a lot more moral yeah. and the kind of the white hat black hat stories of, of westerns and then going from that to something again yes yeah, similar stories but the kind of the, well, the, the vast race. majority of spaghetti westerns the vast majority of i would say and i'm not an expert but from the little bit i do know i'd say i mean in terms of chronologically this probably is the epicenter in that the, the, there's a good number after this yeah revisionist westerns that they they go they run right into the early seventies, oh, um, in quite high numbers. So uh, the, this genre is still building itself at this point. 
and and so many of them are about less less obviously so here because a it's still only the civil war and there's a few decades of it to come yet but it's almost like the end of a lifestyle these revisionist ones it's almost like you'll see it with once upon a time in the west it's like that way of life is coming to an end why because of the coming of the railroad and things Mm. like that so and we'll talk about that during that film but you could almost graft it onto this film that like this money's a way out of this life are they going to go around collecting these bounties off sheriffs forever when the very forming of a union means that there there aren't going to be these sort of ad hoc bounties forever anyway, because there'll yeah. be organised law enforcement for a start. Um, we can't just, you know, you can't just ride into town with a criminal. You think about in this country, you couldn't just ride into town with a criminal and say, give us a couple of thousand, I've got him in the face. <laughs> He's dead, but you can give me half of it. Yeah, And then try um, it again in the next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so a lot of the, these revisionist westerns do hint at the death of a lifestyle and there's there's a there's a certain sadness to that there's a certain sadness of yeah uh, and it, it almost it, it almost goes with the casting as well that they're not that young i mean relative to how people age clint's in his late 30s by now which is like being late 40s now mm. lee van cleef ain't a particularly young man although he looks a lot older than he is now, eli wallach wasn't yeah. a particularly young man either and it, it, it's all they've been at it a long time. And, and how long can they do it? Quite apart from everything else, as you age, how long would he be able to pull that trick of shooting Eli free? I mean, your eyesight don't get better with age. Your shot, your shooting doesn't get better with age. So they need a way out of this life anyway. And the light that and it does tend to be death or glory. They either need to control of whatever money they need to get out of it or they'll end, or they'll exit in death. Yeah, like that gets, and the reason I think Once Upon a Time in the the West is a better film, although a very different film with similar themes and similar characters, is all of that is much more at the fore. You can you can infer a lot more of that, a lot more yeah. is there. Yeah. But you, you can graft a lot of it onto this film. And at the, at the same time as well as Once Upon a Time in, in the West, you had the Wild Bunch as well, which is yeah. which that is its theme about the. the the West dying and, and old men. I've only seen it once and I need to see it again. I used to have it on a, like a Blu-ray. Watched it, loved it. But if you ask me, I can only picture a handful of scenes in it now. I yeah. need to watch it again. What year was The Wild Bunch, Charlie? 69. Okay. Um, and also, without going too deep as well, um, a lot of these, certainly because you, you had um, in the 60s the, the rise of the Italian horror film as well and the Italian Polizitesi, the crime films. Um, and in Italy, I'm, I'm more familiar with the latter than the former. Yeah, and Italy was kind of still fighting against fascism. Yes. And so there was all these stuff behind the scenes as well that you can kind of see in, in a lot of these films as well. Yeah. Um, and certainly because of how violent they are. Well, the Spanish still had fascism until the mid-70s. Yeah. So we, we forget that we forget we think of it as something from a, a black and white era you know yeah and not necessarily but i mean i know some of the italian crime films because i've covered a few of them horror is as we all know not really my genre yeah but um um yeah i, I know that and i love all that because like i say i think some of the things that are going on politically in the world, world now are so overtly referred to in films that 
it's it's almost reaching parody and i don't mean it shouldn't be covered i'm not talking about things like representation i'm talking about i'm not talking about those things being in films i'm talking about the lack of subtlety that you see here in that what i mean by that and i'm probably not explaining it very well is you could almost miss all of those themes in these films but they are there and if you are so inclined to study it you can actually be told a lot about what was going on in the world at the time yeah whereas now you don't even have to do that study you can go oh right i can see exactly what they're going for here yeah and well now yes bond villains are almost a reality yes elon musk how far away is he from max Zorin? not very not very um well we'll see if he ends up blowing up uh, silicon valley well uh (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it's probably only a matter of time. <laughs> so let's, it does something let's, like that. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's. Let's. Uh, yeah, let's. 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 Let's.
in well, time, if you watch a cross section of the genre. Mm, that's, and the, that's, sorry, go on. Go on, no, no, that's it. No, it's, yeah, it's just saying that's, that's the thing with the kind of a lot, so many genre films. Like, so you've got westerns and horrors and stuff, yeah. where because they're seen as a lesser kind of film, yeah, then people can sneak a lot more in. Yeah. Well. Yeah, like with these spaghetti westerns, they weren't seen as like art films. I mean, like, there's a lot of things they could get away with in this not, art film because they, they, weren't, they weren't Becca. viewed, you know, as, as artwork of them, so they can get away with a lot more. No, it's not just that, Becca. It's the fact no. that they're, they're, they're not set in a contemporary era. Um, no, exactly. And, and, I, and I think where Charlie might be going with that, whether he means it implicitly or explicitly, is Star Trek. Yes. Star Trek made yeah, all absolutely. sorts of comments well, yeah, that was, that was on racism, genre, that sexism, kind of really and politics. That wasn't looked upon in, in that it, kind of way. If 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 Star Trek had been, it wouldn't have been because it wouldn't have been no, the format. If it was set in the modern if day, it, they couldn't have got away with it. If it had set in the mid '60s on uh, a naval ship, they would not have got away with a tenth of what they were trying to do. No, because it was set in outer space. They could have a naked green girl, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, um, would, it came the same year. Yeah, absolutely. Same same year as this film as well. Well, exactly. This is it because of the because of the outlandish setting, because the outspace setting, they can get away. They can push that boundaries a little bit more. I think, yeah, certainly with with these genres, kind of like sci-fi or horror, um, anything that's that's outside the mainstream, um, you you can you can afford to kind of test the limits a little bit more, be a bit more shocking, be a bit more outlandish, and you know, trying to push your agenda through. Um, should you have one? Um, but now, yeah, I was just thinking like in terms of these spaghetti western films, because they weren't seen as high art. Um, and obviously now they're revered as classics, but you know, yeah. I think Ebit reviewed it quite poorly at the time, um, and, and the like as well. And it was kind of panned the, the, you know, upon its release, is, but because it wasn't seen as high art. But you know, I see what you mean, Charlie. Sorry about that. <laughs> all of these things get to saturation point. Now, I, I, I forget who the hell I was listening to earlier, and they were talking about the stages of a genre, and you know how you set the rules, and then you do, you go through this phase, and then you go through that phase, and the penultimate phase is deconstruction the final phrase is parody and if you go and watch the newest ant-man film they're slipping into parody um and i, I think that so westerns were always going to say remakes fit in there somewhere they'll be just end up yeah, there being like but remade. We are, it isn't a strict rule anyway it's only no. a theory but the point i'm making is that if you follow then this was late in the maturity cycle of westerns anyway but part of the problem is if you watch the same type time and time again, they will start looking formulaic. But as we start talking about it and even expand it into talking about horror and crime and all the rest of it, all these themes and all the stories that you get in films can be attacked in so many different ways. And, and even in these films, and we'll cover a few in the coming weeks that are different. And some of them are covering the same themes, but they're doing it in different ways. And it's uh, but anyway, final thoughts on this from me. Um, I think we've got a better one from Leone coming in a couple of weeks' time. I would put this top of the Dollars trilogy now, though. Um, I had a really, really good time with it. I do think, I almost think for the for the sake of its scale and themes, it needed to be three hours. But in terms of its, its scene breakdown, it didn't. I like its languid pace, but, you know, him getting straight out of being sort of embedded care to being straight in prison was like, a step too far for the film but i really really enjoyed it i like the range of everybody in this as well lee van cleaver always appears to be playing the same character but he isn't he's not playing the same character he was last time no 
Um, you, 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 you can almost great. think it's a different actor completely because yeah I mean he's just got that such a familiar facial structure that it couldn't be if you like mm-hmm. there's there's no chance of him completely disappearing into roles because he's so distinctive to look at but um, I really love Lee Van Cleef anyway it's just like he could have easily have been the superstar of all of this and I always remember when, when I did the Sabata films that with a bit more consistency and a bit more longevity after that in the western genre that could have easily become like another a sort of quasi superhero or a bond character easily because um the way the character's revealed in the first film does put you in mind of the sort of slow way we get indiana jones revealed or bond revealed at the po- uh, poker t- uh, baccarat table in the first film and stuff um you know they're, they're, he could have been an even bigger star than he was is, is what i'm saying i think this is the strongest of the three i don't think it's necessarily the most watchable I, I certainly remember earlier today i was like oh i've left this too late and i've got to do three hours of this now so whilst i'll watch it again in my life if you asked if you forced me at gunpoint to watch one now i'd watch for a few dollars more but of the original of the first three we're covering in this series um this would be the, the objectively i think the best Yes, um, I had a great time um, with my viewing today. Um, I'm just sorry that I've waited so long to see this classic movie. Um, Something these these sort of films I do kind of associate um, with both my late granddads actually, because I think it's just the era that they grew up in, like war movies, westerns, that sort of thing. Um, sort of informed in sort of things that they enjoyed growing up, and I think because it was always on, it sort of tried to pass it on to myself, but sadly it didn't stick. Um, but I'm glad to be discovering them now for sure. Um, and it's you know it's, it's always to it's always great to to connect with you guys as well because I always end up coming away from from our discussions, um, learning a lot more and and you know I've, I've come away having a richer experience because of it and this is I hope you do the same. Um, like I I certainly didn't pick up on sadly didn't pick up on the on the aspect of the buddy movie. I now it obviously makes glare it's glaringly obvious. Thought about it, yeah. Definitely something I didn't pick up on as well. I think um, what you wouldn't, sorry to interrupt, but what, it isn't that you wouldn't pick up the buddy elements. It's probably that you wouldn't pick up that didn't already exist as a thing. In that, yeah, well, especially in, in that genre as well. It's the groundbreaking element of it you wouldn't pick up. Not the it really that, is. If someone said to you, are there buddy elements in the film? You'd go, yes, of course. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, definitely. But no, yeah, I, I you know, have had a really good time with this viewing. It's a, it's a truly classic. I think there are, as, as Charlie said, there are aspects that we could, we've kind of glossed over, but we have, we could, if we wanted to, we could do a, a three hour job on this film. Um, but that's for another day. Um, but yeah, no, I have a really good time. I can definitely see why, you know, why it's so classic and why it has, has um, I just got to repeat myself now, or why it has kind of um, carried on through the ages. Um, like for me, if I was to rank it, I would rank this one at, at the top for sure. Um, looking forward to seeing what other, what other films that we do in the genre. Well, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Who's next? Uh, I'll go next. Um, yeah. So, like Becca, I feel like kind of ashamed only sort of watching it once before. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I don't feel as bad now. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it 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 is definitely an epic classic. I'll, I'll say the only thing I, that I haven't really mentioned uh, really is I think uh, is it Eli? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his last name. Is it uh, Wallach? Wallach. Wallach. Yeah. I, I it's feel, pretty I much. Was, I was well, feel, this, obviously ch in the English language can be pronounced ch, but it's, it can also be cut, and it is that cut sound. Yeah. And they sometimes yeah. like in the Italian language as well. Like if you've got a. C, I know it sounds H, obvious. H, for it makes the C like quite hard. So. For anyone who hasn't noticed, we have covered a film of his in the past. He was in um, The Godfather Part Three. 
Yeah. It's a very old man by that point. Um, he, I think he kind of steals the show. I mean, he's very loud. It's uh, brilliant. It's the loudest. Oh, it's the loudest yeah. of the of the three, which I think yeah. is probably like the best description. Not that that sounds demeaning in a way, but it, I don't mean it that way. Um, because uh, no, I don't... but he's so vibrant and full of life. Do you know what? I I wish I could watch this on the big screen just for him. Yeah. Because I mean, you know how you know how I used to say forget acting quality, but you know how I used to say things like um, when you watch Samuel L. Jackson and that famous scene in Pulp Fiction, when you see it on the big screen, it, it metaphorically blows your hair back as you're watching it mm. because the screen presence is immense. He's the same in Jackie Brown, right? But not so much in other films, but certainly those Jungle Fever to a degree. But um, Wallach, I would imagine, has that. I would imagine he just pins you to his seat, to your seat, the moment mm. that you see him. Because while he is like, you know, he's he's not, he, he is the ugly. He's probably the more like complex of the two, or sorry, of the three. Because um, he isn't particularly like a virtuous character in the slightest, but you do kind of. Root for you, you do have like you understand them more. I think one of the, one of the things that um that did stand out out the three, he's he's the he's the only one you kind of know, like you know well, you, find, you, well, you know his backstory. He's the, bravest, he's the bravest and most uh, and least skilled and most cowardly and most skilled at the same time. Mm. That that's the f- fascinating thing. He's a skilled bank robber. Right. Whether he's just doing that with brutality, he's pulled off a lot of robberies with yeah. a lot of people chasing him. And yet he's always at the mercy of Clint. Right. Yeah. But so he's the he's almost frightened of Clint. And yet he'll ride straight into a bunch of sh- soldiers and trust himself to bullshit his way through it. Fascinating yeah. character. Yeah. I think because he's he's the, he's the one out of the three that um, you actually know the backstory of. The other three, you don't. You don't really know where Blondie or the man with no name comes from. You don't really know where Angel Eyes really comes from, uh, or why they are, why they are, why they are. But you, yeah, you, but you understand. Eyes. Yeah, but that raises more questions than it answers because mm. we just we think, oh, he's just a Robin, and then you meet his brother's a priest, and you're like, okay, well, that's not an answer to it then. Yeah, you, you, you kind of understand that it's like he's he's had a, he's had a tough. He come from tough beginnings, and it's like, well. You know, there's two ways out. Either you join the priesthood, or you, you know, you, you, you go, you go on the rob to sort of like, you know, to look after your family. And it's like, well, there it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, and 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 in, even in the way, it's like, well, while his brother might seem more virtuous, it's, you know, in a way, he's probably he did a more cowardly, more selfish act by going into priesthood. So it's, it, it is. Um, it's not particularly sort of like cut and dry, uh, well, as, as 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 the movie would say. Because then I think that is probably the good, the bad, the ugly. Is that it's not the same the characters. It's it's you know the the way life is. What I find Deep in man. some respects, <laughs> in some respects, and I, I obviously we've got to go on to sort of Charlie in a moment. I'll be interested to see. What I'm going to sort of not not I'm not going to direct what he says, but I, I want to almost point something and see what he thinks of it. I almost wish they hadn't put their monikers over their introductions at the start mm. because it would have been endless debate. A, which one is which? Or B, the second thought, are we saying they're both or three? Yeah. 
so I, I think it would have been a more interesting than de debate than just spoon feeding us which one is meant to be which. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Or indeed, whether each one refers in turn each to one of them, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah, it would have given it that kind of the air of you know of flexibility, like it could apply to to anyone or all three of them, or that you know they're both they're both the good, the bad, the ugly at various points of the film. Charlie. Yeah, um, there was a trailer which had Warwick as the bad and Rancliffe as the ugly. All right. Oh. Uh, which does make I mean, sense yeah. if you can't well, you can you can look at it that way definitely. Yeah, because I think I think ugly is is perhaps more of a, a suitable title for Rancliffe and Angel Eyes. Mm, definitely. I mean, um, I, this should be obvious, but at no point does any of did any of us ever think they mean physically ugly. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. But yeah, well, if you go back to like the original yeah. like, Italian title as well, I mean, like the kind of it, it gets lost in translation a little bit, doesn't it? So because it's like yeah, um, but um, I mean, well, yeah, Eli Wallach's always been an amazing actor, and uh, I don't know if you if you he's also the villain in the, in the Magnificent Seven. Oh yeah, of course. Well, I got distracted then because my wife's just come back from the shop, and I honestly thought she bought a bar of chocolate called Cunts. <laughs> uh, so it, it is. What? It's nothing like that. It's the font. It's the shape of the font on it. It's called Tony's or something, but it actually looked like Cunts when she held so, it up in. Tony's chocolate. Tony's chocolate, it, Tony's oh, chocolate yeah, is very nice. I don't want to be yeah. recording while my wife sat here eating cunt. It's not right. <laughs> That's a whole other That's a whole other Anyway, carry on. But, but, by the way, Tony's chocolate is very nice. So, All right, carry on. And, and very expensive. So <laughs> it is, isn't it? Isn't it just very expensive? No, yeah, three, three no, pounds fifty if you're lucky. Is it, is it Irish? Yeah, it's a lot. Is it Irish or Australian or something? No. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, I've I, just it's, yeah, something like that, isn't it? I remember a lot of people have been talking over it over years, and I've just literally started seeing it in shops over here. Yeah, so it's only recently come over, hasn't I've it? I've never seen it before. Dutch, apparently. Dutch, anyway, that was it. Dutch, um, right. Yes, okay. yes. So I mean, that's, that's, that's why it's so expensive because you have to import it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway, carry um, on. All right. Yeah. Sorry, Karen, Charlie. It's all right. Um. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you, you could say that about um all of the, all of the characters. They can potentially uh apply to those three titles uh over the film and uh but yeah whatever. It's, it's kind of yeah. It's, it's it would be it's really interesting, but you can still kind of apply it even with the titles there, really, um, and kind of talk about what you think the only meant in those in those titles. But um, I mean, yeah, the film's great. I mean, just pick up on something else as well is is the music uh, with kind of the main kind of theme, the da la la, um, just that little bit used where eastward it was a flute with um van cleef it was an ocarina and uh then with wallach it was people's voices uh -huh. so well, that tells me what an ocarina is because i recognize the instrument that wasn't a flute so that was that yeah voices yeah you're right you're yeah. absolutely right never thought about it Ocarina, I associate with Zelda, with um, <laughs> the Zelda games. Well, yeah, exactly. Ocarina of Time, yeah. Well, that's where my mind went as well. Didn't know what one was. 
I've never no, had Nintendo, so I've never played it. <laughs> if you had the Ocarina of Time, then you'll know. I've heard, I've you heard of it, but I've never had um, I've never had Nintendo, so I haven't played any of the Zelda games. Still, get a Switch. There's still time. Yeah, get a Switch. Literally, it's um, the most beautiful game you will ever play. And uh, from football. Yeah, so the, the, the musical identification was there, which is cool. Also, there was also um, Morricone wrote a beautiful kind of theme that's very similar to what the the soldier story song was the melody of that yeah for kind of like the civil war stuff that was kind of almost like a lament and kind of like what was, what eastwood was in about what a waste of all it was and you kind of felt very much that, that was the amy's feeling on the things through the music that morricone composed um yeah it's it's a great film um again i i don't know if i prefer it to a few dollars more I th- I thought uh, I think I've come to the conclusion, and it's not a conclusion as in set forever. It's a conclusion as in what I definitely think this minute. What I definitely think this minute is it's objectively better, but I'd rather watch for a few dollars more. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly got bigger ideas and a bigger scope. Um, bigger runtime. I mean, yeah. I, I I feel it. I mean, I said before at the beginning, I think it's a completely different beast. Like it, it it's it's almost like. It, it almost feels like a different like you you I won't necessarily put these films together in the same kind of category. Almost. But it's it so obviously like... Leone. I mean, I, yeah. I, the one thing I've not mentioned it, it's I'll keep going back to Once Upon a Time in the West mainly because that's my first love of Western. If you like, I, that's the one I love deepest and most. And it's got my. It's a bit like when I say on Her Majesty's Secret Service is my favorite Bond film. Is it that much better than any other Bond film? Well, I think it's better, but that that is at least debatable but then i start going well the score is my favorite and and the look of it's my favorite mm. and i'm a bit like it with that i think that the score to that film is so beautiful and this is so beautiful but certainly here it, it, it challenges it for that that those sort of close-ups on faces are amazing yeah. in this that is so obviously leone and like i was saying to charlie What's the filmmaker called Charlie? I keep thinking Paralini, but that's Sabata. I've, I've just done Run Man Run. What was the, what was the oh, filmmaker? Salima, yeah. Um, you notice it when you do a similar type of film, but it's not Leone. Yeah. You said because that film's attractive, by the way. Run Man Run's an attractive film, but it doesn't have the face as a landscape. So when you suddenly see it with the guy chasing Eli Wallach at the start of the film, you're like, oh, it's it's Leone. You can't help but compare them. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting when, when you watch The Great Silence and you see Corbucci's um, style as well, which is amazing. Uh, and again, how, different... how, how would you... Um, uh, do you want to talk about that next week? Yeah. Or do you want yeah. to talk about it now? I don't no, mind. No, we'll, no, we'll talk about that next week. Okay. Um, and, and maybe, maybe after week, then we can use that as a comparison. I mean, it's yeah, interesting, interesting. interesting to watch the three films and see the, 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 the way... The only kind of it is constantly evolving his style, and yeah, when you watch what's time in the West as well, like he's with a that's again, like he's all grown up, but it isn't the, yeah. just that he's got the money as well by then, yeah. And I think I, I certainly think that is the best of of, of his spaghetti westerns, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this, this film is, is amazing. It's a bit like using that Bond example again, 
imagine all Bond films. I mean, it wouldn't survive. I, all jokes about them being similar aside. Imagine every Bond film had literally the same plot. Right. If they literally had the same plot on a Majesty's Secret Service would be my favorite because it's because George because of the beautiful locations, because of the way it's shot, because of the sound, yeah? That mm. sort of thing sets it apart. For me, the film stock at the end of the 70s was so beautiful compared to the grainy <laughs> stuff they used in the, the 80s. All of those factors, and I think that's one of the things with Once Upon a Time in the West. I, I can't remember whether it's objectively better. I think it is, because I think the story's a little bit cleverer and a little bit more multi-dimensional. Yeah. But it is still a bunch of morally grey people all kind of working against each other but the score almost well i'll say this now i don't know if i've ever said this on here chris and becca all know because they were there my wife walked down the aisle to me to once upon a time in the west okay mm. did you know that charlie you did indeed i think you mentioned it on the day uh, I, I didn't so the, the main theme for the film uh, which if I can, um, I'll, I'll get Chris to put it in the show notes, all right? I'll send it as a link to him in a minute. I'll send the actual version from the film, but we, she walked down the aisle to me to a piano version of it. Oh, wow. Very yeah. beautiful it was too. So the music, well, it, it was, I felt guilty afterwards because I was certainly not in charge, but the trouble is you suggest things and then your wife goes, that's a brilliant idea. And so and it's, it's your special she's day, agreed. It? She's you. agreed, but you've chosen it. So, for example, uh, she walked down the aisle to Once Upon a Time in the West. We signed the register to um, uh, uh, Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini from Somewhere in Time. Yeah. And then we walked out to a piano version of All the Time of the World by Louis Armstrong. <laughs> and they are so obviously my choices. It's untrue. <laughs> Yeah, I've, yeah. that, I've, I've seen somewhere in time now, by the way, Dave. I don't know if I've we did you know. Star Wars. I know, Charlie. Yeah. Which one was it? Well, we did the throne room. Um, yeah. oh, I wow. actually I edited it. So yeah. oh, it, it was a recording. Yeah, it was part of the deal on mine. I'll sound so I'll sound such a fucking wanker saying this because it sounds like <laughs> I'm it sounds like I'm made of money and I'm not. It was that like I came into something from an air hunter and different things, but we had a pianist um and we, we had a pianist so um yeah I, uh, yeah but uh what did you chris you had some music for your wedding i can't remember now uh oh oh it was uh elvis oh, yeah. oh really oh wow yeah it was a uh, and uh and it was that and like an austria version of the cure uh, yeah that's it that's it, the throne room. No, I was but yeah, to make it to your wedding, Chris. I feel bad. But yeah, basically, I. That's why you should back it up, Jake. I basically had two, two John Barrys and a Morricone. Well, no, no, that's not true. It were Paganini. They're absolutely on the theme of Paganini is not John Barry. It's mm. just as cheesy as that. But the score's amazing. Oh yeah, it's 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 beautiful. I had to score in my head all the time. I was like, oh. Because even uh, the, even the John Barry bits fit with that Paganini one. It's fantastic. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Christopher Reeve is fantastic in that film. No, but you can see why he made a good Superman because no one does Ernest like him. Yeah. He could play anything, and you'd believe that he believes in it as much as anything. That you know, he desperately mm. wants to be there doing that role, and he cares. Whatever he does. Yeah. Um, the thing is, just slightly off ta- on tangent. Um. 
if you when, when you look at that it's the grand hotel mackinac island it's massachusetts or something mackinac right? island is it is it I'm going on how it's spelled. Apologies, Americans, mispronouncing that. It's a bit like. I can't pronounce any Italian. Well, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit like when Clinton first ran for president, and we we all thought he was from Arkansas because that's how it was spelled. Yeah, yeah, because we don't know. We had to sit her here. Arkansas said. Um, um, But in the book, it's a different hotel. But if you look that book up, that hotel is also gorgeous. The difference is in the book, instead of going back to 1912, he goes back to um, 1896. And in the book, he has a brain tumour, so it could well be a delusion. Um, The other thing is, do you remember we were talking about, when we talked about planes, trains and automobiles, um, we talked about the guy that fell asleep on the plane with his head against Steve Martin. And it turned out to be Bill Irwin, who was an aged actor, who was also in Star Trek The Next Generation and other things. He plays the older Arthur in that film. So remember when he goes back in time, there's a boy in the lobby playing with a ball. Mm. But when he goes there in the present day, which in the film is 1980, there's an old man who shows him around. That's Bill Irwin, Chris. Mm. Did you like it, even with the sort of Mills and Boone ending? (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, well, funny enough, I kind of like, I, I, I kind of like that ending. Um, it's just the way it was shot. It looked a bit, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be, be obviously kind of like went crazy because at the end, you know, it's a bit weird. But him, dying, well, I, I, I think you, I think you have to say that, I have to show that in some way, don't you? Um, Christopher Plummer's great. So. Yeah. As, but, a, as, the, mainly, as the barrier and the funny the thing is I, Charlie might know more about this than me just because he knows more about scores than me but if you go and buy the score to the film it's only about 36 minutes long and I don't know if that's because that's all the scoring that's on the film or whether it's just what happens commercially with film scores well they released an expanded version recently right um, I'm just having a look on here um, and uh if you if you think keep looking charlie and I, I don't mean to interrupt but for listeners who've always listened to us when we did the music of bond uh which charlie was on for obvious reasons when we got when we were on this second episode and we talked about um later john barry charlie was pointing out that and, and if i get if i mischaracterize what you said correct me because it was seven years ago um but he was talking about how John Barry got a lot more romantic later mm-hmm. in his run on Bond. And if you listen to the Moonraker score, and people disregard Moonraker because they think it's cheesy and space and everything else, forget what you think. Forget what you think of Moonraker. I don't think it's a high-ranking Bond film, but I think one thing is it sounds. Be- well, I think three things about Moonraker basically at a headline level. If you take out the fact he goes to space and there's a double-taken pigeon, most of it plays as sensible as any other Bond film of that era. But it looks beautiful and it sounds beautiful. The cinematography in that film is gorgeous, but it's also got this beautiful romantic score. And that is that era of John Barry. Now, literally the following year, he did the score to Somewhere in Time. And either watch the film, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, or at very least, 
go on YouTube or Spotify or whatever and listen to the score. And the very first track and the very first last track, which is a reprise of the first one, is effectively John Barry's main theme for the film. But something like track six or track nine, I forget whichever it is, is Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, an old piece of classical music, which is a major theme of the film. They fall in love over that piece of music, basically. And um, it, it all fits together incredibly well. And it's super romantic and you can almost cry listening to it. Yeah. Um yeah, so they uh, they released an expanded version. So the the kind of the the actual score is about forty four minutes, but there's also kind of like music. it's not a super long film anyway. No, but there's also kind of like music that alternate pieces and and performances of perhaps you know the theme of Paganini and stuff like that and things for um, so the the actual disc is like seventy six minutes long. Yeah, to give a clue to anyone who hasn't seen the film but has follow, always followed our podcast, um, to give you an idea of like the thing that sets the plot in motion, if you think of Star Trek IV, um, in Star Trek II, Bones had bought Shatner some glasses, and in Star Trek IV, he sells it in a um, like a, an antique shop, and he says, but Bones gave them to you, and he said, and he will again. Right. So it's it's like a perfect loop that somebody gives you something you gave them in the past, effectively. And that's like a major thing in some somewhere in time. He falls in love in, in the past, basically. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Um, it's shot by the same guy who made Supergirl. Ellen Slater's Supergirl. Are we oh, done on fighting? Jules 2, yeah. And Jules 2. Jules 2 is all right, though. Gino Swark, yeah. Jaws 2 is all right. I mean, it, it's it's got a thankless task because it's following Jaws, but oh yeah, it's at least to Jaws what Superman 2 is to Superman, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll cover that one day with Charlie on it as well. Are we done with final thoughts, folks? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, think, so. I, I don't know about the facts, though. I still feel kind of... I feel uninformed. <laughs> I, I feel well-informed <laughs> on romantic John Barry music and Mills and Boone. But I don't. I feel less informed on um, whatever film we've just covered because it's was ages ago we were talking about this. Which is it? Wasn't <laughs> Boone ending? I'm, I'm, I'm that ill-informed. I don't even know what film we're talking about. No, nor do I. It's a while ago. <laughs> it's been about seven years. Hasn't oh it? yeah, it's that good, bad, and weird or whatever. One of these yeah. days, I think we will have to do as a one-off somewhere in time. I kind of feel that it's coming. Mm. I would. I would like to. Um, how about how I, it's, I too, late, it's too late not, this year? Um, but what about a Valentine's Day episode? Yes, we can do it maybe next year. I think like, I follow um, Jane. A Seymour. Valentine's Day commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. How about that next year? Next year, next year. Um, yeah, I follow Jane Seymour on, on social media. Uh, and we could challenge um, our and readers. Didn't they go back to the location we, last but year? We could we could do it as a challenge. We could challenge our listeners to last as long in the bedroom as our commentary runs. <laughs> Listen to us while you while you give your lady a special life, and as if you if you last as long as Becca's fun facts, you know. Oh God, there's well, a challenge. I, I, I mean, quite frankly, if 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 your uh, if you if your relationship lasts as long, to be honest, podcasts, if, if I think you've done do well. That, let's see if they can get through the trailer for the episode. That's only about three minutes. You can do that, surely. With the help of a little blue pill. Becca, teach us. Teach us about the final element of the Dollars trilogy. So, yeah, I've got some fun facts here. Um, one is potentially a bit controversial. Run um, it past us and we'll see what we think. If not, I have a standby fact. Don't worry about it. Go with it. Just, just go um, with it. It's, it's about the casting. 
Um, well, go with it. We, so, we, the chances are we won't know either way. And no. if we do know, we'll correct it. So don't worry. Go on. Thank you very much. Um, it's a bit further on down the list. So I'll start with my fun fact number one. Um, skeleton. Oh, my God. It's breaking my desk. Skeletor? The Skeletor, yes. Yes, <laughs> human, I'm here. Um, so yeah, the skeleton seen at the start. Bunglers! You're idiots. Um, I don't know why I'm suddenly doing Skeletor impressions. He so, man's yeah, a dick. <laughs> cool. I am Adam, Prince of Adonio. Um, anyway, yes, so the skeleton scene in the grave at the end of the film is actually a real skeleton of a real person, um, apparently belonging to a Spanish actress who, in her world, wanted to carry on acting off even after she died. Um... <laughs> and her <laughs> so, wish came true. Do you think that's how they made Weekend at Bernie's? So she made a posthumous appearance in this film. <laughs> so her legacy lived on even after she'd passed on. That's a really cool fact, actually. I really like that. I didn't know that. See, sometimes IMDb does throw up some really fun facts. All right, go on. I, I seem to have had a trend of having fun facts about people who have died, and that's really sad. Um, oh, God, any time anyone dies, we, we're straight on to each other. Did we talk about them? I, yeah, did we kill them? We're not even superstitious. I don't know where this came well, from. Well, John, John Watson, obviously we didn't cut off because we haven't done any football-type films. Who else died? Um, Margaret there Thatcher's somebody spin a few doctor weeks ago passed away. You literally asked me we a few weeks ago about somebody the Queen. No, yeah, we didn't call her. No, didn't oh, no, yeah, no, no, we did talk about it. Well, in fairness, Queen died where we weren't really Jones. recording a lot. Yeah, but she died listening to us with Samuel L. Jackson and so on. So, yes. But there was somebody recently, I'm not going to bust the gut trying to remember who, but we were straight onto each other going, have we covered anything they did? Yeah, it was, yeah, some, it was some famous person, wasn't it? We were like, oh my God, did we? Because, yeah, unfortunately. Anyway, fun fact number two. Um, as with these spaghetti westerns, due to largely Italian crew and international international Italian cast and crew. Um, obviously, Jet Sergioni spoke next to no English. Um, Inni Lagerlach spoke no Italian, um, but they both spoke French. So that's how they managed to communicate on set by speaking French. Um, fun fact number three, at the top of this show and in a previous review, um, fun facts, we also mentioned Clint Eastwood's iconic poncho. Um, in a 2020 interview, Eastwood reported that he still has it and he has never actually washed it. I don't imagine, unless he keeps putting it on, it probably doesn't smell by now. No, I think it, it just um, it lives on. That's how I mean, Chris, that's how, Chris doesn't speak Southern and I don't speak Northern, so we just talk bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so yeah, he keeps it in a, in a glass case um, and apparently loans it out um, to a friend who owns a Mexican restaurant nearby in his hometown of Carmel. Um, Which he was once mayor of. He mm. was mayor of Carmel by the sea I can't because there are two Carmels aren't there um, but yeah he was once mayor of the town um, this is my fun fact number four a little bit controversial oh. uh, but I've also got a backup fact so you're kind of getting six facts tonight All right. um, this one was not without con- controversy um, obviously the casting of Eli Wallach um, is a man of Polish Jewish descent um, being cast as a Mexican outlaw just due to his colouring but unfortunately this was common at the time um, and plus, it's kind of what I was trying to tap into earlier. About well, yeah, yeah. Alec Guinness played an Arab, you know. It's seen as high art, so they, they could they could kind of get away with it. If you want another example. Um, Sorry, is, is I, I've got a, I've got one question about that. You've just said it, but I need you to repeat it. What okay. is Eli Wallach's racial background? Or ethnic background, sorry. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, not that. Is he like what did Polish you just say? Polish or something? Yeah, I think. But I, I may have been. It's basically casting a, a white man as a 
I just yeah, assumed that, he was Mediterranean, but that was I mean, it's he was no Mickey the... Rooney Breakfast at Tiffany's, though, is it, really? No, it's not. Because <laughs> <but, laughs> <laughs> the first thing I ever saw him in was The Godfather Part 3. I assumed he was Mediterranean. And, and I, I suppose that's to the shame of us that we go close enough, if you know what I mean, which is a horrible so way to look at it. We're a bit more, kind of, we're a bit like more sorry, darker skin. Yeah. Sort of, you know, that sort of thing. But today, I think, obviously, we're a bit more um attuned to it but i say it was something that was, it was done commonly at the time um an example of this i think of is probably the 1960s original west side story casting like greek american actor george takiris as a puerto rican character and other characters Chris is in... right though mickey that's Rooney's the obvious example yeah that's that's a really um, racist alec guinness is an obvious example um that's, john yeah, john really wayne bad. played genghis khan that's, but that's just that's just hilarious um, though but I, I don't think that, that this is the thing i I'm, i don't mind I don't mind these warnings, for example. I don't. No. I, I try. I try not to be too far on one side of any debate. You know, I don't mind if you've got a film coming on Disney Plus, Netflix, or wherever that you say this film reflects an era of different. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the recent things in news about. I don't the, think there's um, anything wrong with doing. I do. I do. Yeah, like I, I have a problem with that. I do. Have a, at the start saying that the these films. Is, most and I hate this word, but I'm going to say it to get my point across. Most quote unquote woke people would have a problem with that because they'd go, well, like, no, that's a complete bastardization of what we'd want. Yeah, exactly. I don't have a problem with putting warnings on stuff. What where I do have a problem is that, like, I mean, I, I've seen it in like 1920s films and stuff like that that you cast the closest you can find. You know, Ricardo Montalban was not, you know, Sikh. Um, it, it was done. It was done without malice. Um, I think. Joseph Weisman playing Doctor No. The biggest thing is the biggest thing is don't do it. Yeah, Miss Taro was not trying. Miss Taro, yeah, precisely. Um, um, but Laurence Olivier is, is fellow. That's a really bad don't, example. Don't don't do it now. That's all. Don't do yeah. it now. And if you want to put something on the front that says not sorry, you don't have to flagellate yourself over it, but you just put something on the front to say this this was our best understanding at the time. Yeah, it's like the Royal Doll novels kind of being and edited then, and that sort of thing. Just stick a thing at the front saying, look, these are, these are the pervading attitudes at the time. This is the pervading language at the time. It was offensive back then. doesn't make it right. But here is the text as it was originally provided. Yeah, it doesn't help Roald Dahl was reportedly not a very nice man. So it's no, it doesn't easy, help he was anti-Semite. It's an easy, easy stick. Yeah, it's an easy sort of stick to beat him with now. No, but just as a current argument. Anyway, my backup fact. Anyway, go um, on. I just was like, I was trying to go for my facts, and I thought, no, come on, we're all grown ups. We it, was something that, you know, it, was, it doesn't make it right, but it was kind of done at the time, and it's something that didn't even occur to me. I was if, like, we oh, were, okay. if we were 100% honest, the four of us would not agree on absolutely everything. No, mm-hmm. this is it. Just say stuff, we listen to each other, it's fine. It's like, you know, it's, it's like it's, we're saying, obviously, because this was a spaghetti western, it wasn't considered like high art, for example, so they could kind of push, the, push that envelope. Um, anyway, Henry Fonda, Lee Marvin and Enrico Maria Salerno were also considered for the role of Angel Eyes. Um, and as with the previous Dollars movies, Salerno actually dubbed Eastwood um, for the Italian release. And my fifth or sixth fun fact, um, this is the third of six times more Penny would work with Leone. Um, others time obviously being the Dollars trilogy, Once Upon a Time in the West, Fistful of Dynamite. Once Upon a Time in America. Um, I think Marconi's soundtrack album for this film stayed in the charts for over a year. Um, I don't actually know what his most successful album is. Charlie, you might know this, um, but it remains one of his um, most successful I spec- I, I, Right, I guess there's two ways. I'm going to split that question down. And if you can't answer it, Charlie, it's fine. I'm, if you can, I'm putting you on the spot tonight, Charlie. No, Sorry. no I, I want to break it down, actually. I would ask you two questions. First, The first, this first sub-question would be, what's his most um, successful soundtrack? 
my my second question would actually be what's his most iconic score mm. and i suspect that's two different answers and i would suspect yeah, probably. this, this is probably the most iconic i would say probably what, you, what would you what would you say charlie well apparently uh, once upon time in the west is a, okay um but there's also the mission as well sorry which one is what do you would you oh, yeah, say mission. What, oh, oh, oh the 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 the, the biggest selling one uh, yeah it's um, too quick most yeah. iconic best yeah. selling too um, different which would you say was which because the thing is how do you break it down because if you said piece of music it would be the title song to this <laughs> but if you were to say entire soundtrack well there's three or four things on once upon a time in the west most people know yeah yeah exactly that's got the main theme and the harmonica theme and stuff um so i, I think once upon a time in the west is probably the biggest set um and yeah i'd say this this theme is is, is most iconic it's difficult isn't it because we're, we're from sort of the english-speaking world so we've got if you if you transpose it onto uh, Jerry Goldsmith or even more obviously a John Williams just because he worked with so many high grossing yes yeah. if I said to you now which is John Williams most iconic piece of music well you could give me a point of view but it wouldn't be definitive it couldn't be there's too many yeah I mean, the, the obvious thing is Jaws because it's recognizable from like two notes yeah but yeah. but the fact is you couldn't say that you go well, hang on a minute the main theme to star wars the main theme from indie the main theme from this the main thing you know and so on yeah and that's the thing i mean it's like like jaws mm. is <coughs> is well if it was named that really, tune you would name it quickest because two notes you got it yeah but, but i mean what, what i'm trying to say is, is jaws is musical shorthand for a shark and for danger even to people who have never seen jaws they still know what it means. It's, it's like the, the shower scene from Psycho. You still know what that. If you were, were in, yeah, if you were in, water, I know that's not a John if Williams. If you were in you know the I mean. sea and it came over the public address system, you'd be a little bit uncomfortable. You'd be like, mm. get out the water. But it's it, it's almost generational. Um, I don't, and yeah, and I suppose because I my yeah my daughter I knew it before. Well, some would say. Me. Uh, without without talking about transphobes and stuff, um, but a lot for a modern generation, the main theme from Harry Potter is iconic. It is. Mm. It's very yeah, well, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Jurassic in, Park in, to your generation, Becca. Yes, it is mm. precisely. In, in in the same way though, um, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly is kind of shorthand for a western, True. for a shooter. Um, uh, and you think if you think of a western, if you think of western music. It yeah. is likely to be the first thing that pops into your head, and when you I'd sit, say so. Music-wise, I can't think of anything else. No, and when you when you think about how many times it's been parodied and stuff, I mean, I can remember there's the episode um, of The Simpsons where Homer eats the chilies. That's um, yeah. fantastic, that's and, brilliant, and, isn't it? And, oh, that's and it's kind of like a western setup where he's walking down the street. Or walking well, the faux street in the the chili festival, yes, uh, with his spoon by his side, and it plays that theme. Yeah, it's literally that's that's my first place in my brain. But if you said, well, the point is right. If you said to the average person, I'm not talking about film experts, music experts. I'm just talking about somebody, somebody fairly semi literate. They've seen a good number of westerns. 
if you said to them pick a pick a piece of music for a western sequence they would say that but if you but if you said you can't pick that pick something else you'd get 15 different answers and a lot of people going i don't know yeah my reason seven seven will probably be yeah you get like the yeah magnificent seven or something like that maybe but there aren't many like it. Yeah. It, yeah, it's definitely iconic. As I say, I, I'm not quite sure what the most successful one is, but yeah, this has to be up there in terms of like the most iconic Morricone scores. We've sure. had a great time with this. I, I want to do um, two things. Obviously, I want to do the whole social media thing. Oh. And then I would like to ask Charlie, without giving the title away, I know we did earlier, oh. I'd like him to tell him tell us a little bit about what we're going to cover next time, just in terms of who the filmmaker is and, and what we can look forward to. And then obviously we can sign off. As for me, you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Cinematronics on Twitter. You can also uh, find all the episodes on Podbean. Just up for do you space to talk. And it'll be all, should be all over, well, most, most podcasting services. All I would add to that is if you spot episodes missing, that you want to listen to if you don't want to listen to them it doesn't matter but i know some people occasionally go back to like listen to an old bond episode because that's how we started or whatever if you spot an episode missing let us know because we don't know if you no don't tell us alexa misunderstood that comment entirely alexa, please and, be quiet. And, and i will leave it in alexa piss off <laughs> um, <laughs> me and my, me and my... alexa tell us a joke me and my wife um, were in bed last night, and uh, we were That's talking. disgusting. I don't need X-ray stories <laughs> like that. And we, we, and we were talking about what modern pop music and and how we don't really get it, and what is popular. And I said, oh, I guess something like Drake. And apparently Drake has a song called I Guess or something like that because Alexa suddenly went playing I Guess by Drake. Okay, Alexa, always listening. It normally, asks really, really straight. Normally, like out of nowhere, you'll be sat having a chat. I was here one day, uh, and I was just chatting to like Joanna about something, and suddenly the Alexa started making farting noises, <laughs> right? And asked me if I wanted different ones. Um, that's just You're the right. way it is. But anyway, so that's me for social media. Let's sign off, folks. I don't have a smart speaker, so I don't have any of these hilarious stories, unfortunately. Um, but yes, whatever your podcatcher of choice, please don't forget to rate us, but review yeah. us. If, like you, us if you're missing an episode, tell us, though, please. Yeah, do let us know. Um, you can drop us an email, um, or you can find us across social media, Facebook, The Expected Talk, on Twitter, at Expect Us to Talk, on YouTube, search The Expected Talk. And as Chris said, you can find us our episodes on Podbean. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts and Podbay. Wherever you, but yes, as I was going to say, wherever you do find us on your podcatcher of choice, um, please kindly give us a five star rating. It helps us to rank higher and attract more listeners. And whilst you're there, um, why not, you know, whatever platform you're on, why not copy a link to the podcast that you're listening to? Do it as a status update. Give us a quick tweet. Pop it on your Facebook status. Let us know what you're listening to. Why not listen to Do You Expect to Talk? Um, yeah, we haven't been around for a while, so do talk to us. We'll happily chat to you about anything. Yeah, definitely drop us a line. Um, but share us wherever you're on. It helps us to, to, you know, attract more listeners. I'll try to find out a more attractive way of saying this. Um, <laughs> I'll probably rip it off from the Jerry Anderson podcast, I'm sure. Um, but yes. 
please do get in touch. <laughs> I'm at practice, sorry. You can you can find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. Um, okay, so next week, um... Chris. Uh, sorry, Charlie. Can can I just ask something else? Because you yeah. put out a newsletter this week. Do you want to tell people about it? Because I read it and thought it was good. Do you want to tell? Yeah, people I enjoyed about reading it. it. Tell us yeah. about it. Um, I've yeah, I've been doing a newsletter on film music, um, and uh, it is called Movie Drone. And um, if you want to go to the uh, address, which I can't remember where it is, and give me two seconds. Okay, so if you go to moviedrone.substack.com, um, you can read it, sign up, and uh, hopefully you uh, you'll find it enjoyable. Um, uh, what did you talk about this week? Because I you, you I happened a lot of the things with social media, particularly Twitter. You've got to be looking at the right time. I happened yeah. to glance at Twitter at, at, at the right time that Charlie had just shared it. So I happened to read it. I can't remember when I last did, if I'm honest, but I read this week's and I enjoyed it. I can't remember what you put on there, though, Charlie. What what sort of topics did you talk about this week? Oh, I, I linked to a very important Guardian article. Um, ah, this was uh, about the treatment of uh, female members of orchestras. Uh, well, more kind of female composers and assistants. Yeah. And things like that, and how there's yeah various things, which horrible things that, that men had done, and also just the power inter- dynamics. Yeah, power dynamics in the industry in general, and uh, and how people are abused. Um, so I think to that, um, a composer called Gerald Freed, who is probably most famous for writing the uh, battle music in the Star Trek episode of a Mock Time, where Kirk and Spock fight each other. Episode oh, yeah. one, season two. Yeah. Uh, if anyone wrote, wants yeah, to find exactly, it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. He wrote that. That pops uh, up in a Jim Carrey film. It's basically it pops, Spock's horny. Pops up everywhere. Yeah. For yeah. an hour. Um and uh and uh, yeah, he wrote the music for that so he sadly died. Oh. Uh to be fair, Star Trek was nearly sixty years ago, so there's a good chance he was of decent age. Oh yeah, he was like eighty nine. Okay, uh, so uh, next week's films, Charlie. Yeah, so next week is a, uh, a fantastic film, in my opinion, um, from a director called Sergio Kobuchi. None of uh, us have seen it. Sergio Kobuchi. Um, and he did a few westerns. He did the original Django, uh, which was which came out in 1966, um, at the uh, same, same year as, as The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Yeah, so the, the, he's known for films that are very, very violent and, and just yeah, don't kind of flinch from uh, portraying how brutal the uh, the West was to a lot of people. So uh, next week, Becca? Before, before we name it, uh, we'll talk about it more next week, but just to sort of tease it, why have you chosen it? Um, we were doing a short series of Leone and we talked about it and we all agreed to put this film in. What about it do you think is good? What is it? Why why are we putting it in? It's just really, I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece it's, and it's kind of in a, in a very kind of in a different style to Leone's films um, and it's set in the snow um, which which is just kind of immediately a different environment. Rare, really rare. Yeah. For a, for a western, it certainly stands out because of that, um, and it's, it's it's 
a really, really brutal film that uh, just it's, cool it really brutal. lays down um, even more than Leone's films the level of um, brutality and sadism that the West had and it's it's just really difficult and there's a really kind of desolate feel to it Okay, so let's that, that's the tease. Becca. I thought that's right. No, um yes. Do you expect to talk return with our review of The Great Silence? 